right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another week of Barstool Backstage. We have two interviews this week. Two. We have the return of Moon Taxi, one of our only recurring guests. They have a new album dropping. Well, this comes out on Friday, so today. We also have Side Piece, an amazing EDM house duo. We had the interns on for that one. Huge fans, funny guys. Want to do them again in person soon. Uh, we got, as Dave would call it, a ragtag group today. White Sox, Dave, how are you, buddy? Excellent. Zero stress in my life right now in any in any way, uh, personally, professionally, financially. Um, I'm just living the dream. This what the fuck was that? <laughs> I, I'm not used to that. <laughs> I was being very sarcastic. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, Johnny, how are you, buddy? I'm uh, living the dream. Also, that's great. Uh, <laughs> Kenny got in an argument with Johnny because apparently Johnny's rich because he has a fire pit. <laughs> we were in the group I, know, yeah, I sent a picture of of my backyard, and he's like, "What are you, a fucking millionaire?" It's like it's dirt and a, <laughs> a, a home built fire pit. It's like he's the one living fucking twenty minutes from the beach in Malibu. Doesn't he live in like Calabasas? Like he's in like a fancy neighborhood in LA. Yeah. He's yeah, a piece of shit. He is a piece of shit. No money. I had a bonfire pit. I was gonna say this, like the ultimate white trash bricks and just made a circle and yeah, he gives me shit shit for that. I mean, I'm literally sitting in a studio that's like if you want to say, oh, this, look at this rich fuck, like the studio's rich. Never mind, it's all like borrowed slash stolen from my dad and like my brothers. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. And he's looking at the mound of dirt that you light on fire in your backyard. And he's like, you rich bastard. I'm talking into like a $10,000 microphone. And he's like, you fucking burning, burning twigs and shit. As, as Kenny burning looks out in his backyard and he sees one of the Kardashians sunbathing, he's like, you rich motherfucker with all your Texas dirt. Today's episode of Barstool Backstage is brought to you by Protection Link, the game changers and warranty protection. We wanted to bring you a sponsor that was founded and operated by a close friend of ours who we truly believe in. And that is why all of us here at Barstool Backstage are proud Protection Link customers. White Sox Dave is probably the number one person who should have this because, Dave, I assume you break your home electronics and your car all the time. Am I correct? Everything like from my body outward that is in my vicinity gets broken at one point or another. So yes, that's a that's big time, big time endorser of uh, protection, protection link, baby. That's what yeah. it's all about. We can't have you walking around with a broken phone or broken TV with the profession that you have. You look stupid. You wouldn't be able to do your fucking job. Phones, home electronics, AirPods, anything, RVs, cars. Make sure that you have Protection Link. You don't need overpriced coverage, and that's why we have Protection Link as well. Sign up at protectionlink.command and use the promo code KENNYSUCKS. That's right, KENNYSUCKS, and enjoy a seven-day risk-free trial. You're watching me struggle through this. Seven-day risk-free trial with promo code KENNYSUCKS. Protection Link, the trusted name in warranties for RV, car, and home electronics. There we go. We got the name right this time. Proud of us. Uh, boys, a lot to talk about before we get into the interviews. Uh, new Foo Fighters album came out. And I don't know if you guys have had the opportunity to listen to it, but I've been talking to Robbie Fox a lot about this. I think this is their best record since Wasting Light. And it is bittersweet because obviously Taylor Hawkins isn't there. Mm-hmm. This record fucking knocked my socks off. There are a few tracks on this record that feel like they were made for the American Pie soundtrack. And I don't know how else to put that. But just like <laughs> good time, driving music, real ass, rock and roll. But it's still. So wait, is there no Taylor Hawkins? Like, there were no tracks that were recorded prior to. No, this is Dave Grohl doing a spot on Taylor Hawkins impersonation, is the uh, way I would put it. Like, it is very much in the style of Taylor Hawkins drumming, but Dave drums on the record. It's fantastic. They did a fucking great job. Dave, have you had the opportunity to listen to this yet? I, I 
Yes and no. You perused. Uh, yeah, you perused. I, I perused it. I am going to give it a full listen, hopefully, as soon as we stop recording. Um, but at a, at a and, th- and no, that's how I kind of consume all albums these days. Um, mm-hmm. because of the millennial attention span, if you want to call it that. But it is, I agree with Colin. It's gonna be very good. Uh, or it is very good. I have yet to fall in love with it because I haven't really given each song individual chances per se. But right. um it's 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 Foo Fighters, man. And Dave obviously the whole band obviously sunk their heart and soul into this one considering the circumstances not that they always don't anyways right um i i i think this is going to be one of the actual albums last one the last album that i loved 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 i'm not i'm not talking like taylor swift or like mega mega albums i'm talking you know next tier next wrong was um okay go or okay human by uh the by Weezer. Weezer. Yeah, yeah, great I record. Loved, fucking love that album. I love I remember album. the day that that dropped and you just losing your I, mind. I love Weezer. I mean, yeah. 90s, late 90s, early 2000s Weezer, I think they're just fucking incredible because every song's so different from the last one. And yep. uh, I would love your guys' opinion on Weezer because, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, obviously. But, um, but this, I, I have a feeling that this Foo Fighter album is going to be an actual album aside from just a song that I fall in love with. It is odd. I, I just looked before we got on. Uh, Complex just put out their top 30 albums of the year 2023 so far. And I retweeted it and I said, this year has been fucking ass. Ass. Yep. ass. But we have a lot of new albums that are coming out in this time period. I guess maybe to coincide with all the tours that are happening. But Foo Fighters, the new Jason Isbell album is coming out, which I'm really excited about, which breaks my heart because I want to talk to him. But shocker, he fucking hates Barstool. Tweets about it all the time, which bums me the fuck out because I would love to have him. He's just he's he's a weenie kind of, and it bums me out because I fucking love Isbel, and I would love nothing more. I just want to tweet at him and bust his balls from the Barstool account and just be like, "Yo, come on the podcast, come on the podcast, and see if he'll do it or not." But I don't think it'll happen. I love Isbel; he's my <laughs> favorite songwriter of the last like 10, 15 years. But there is a lot of really good music coming out now, which I'm excited about. Um, I can't say anything about the rest of the year so far because it's been very mediocre. And Dave brings it up. The album cycles just kind of come and go, as we always fucking talk about. But when the Foo Fighters drop an album, I listen. I didn't like uh, Medicine at Midnight, the album that came out, uh, was, I think, two uh, years ago. Uh, like a year and a half. I, th- I think it was like last year. It was It was like the Foo Fighters were trying too hard to be the Foo Fighters, so it didn't make sure. Foo Fighters. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know that's if that a good makes point. Sense at all, but I gave it a couple listens, and I was like, you know, it's okay. Well, it came out in conjunction with that horror movie that they made. They made an actual movie, and they Medicine Midnight. I think was kind of like a companion piece. It was boring. It was funny. I was texting with my sister in law, and I said, "I love this new Food Fighters album so much," and she was like, "Eh." She was like, "It's Dave Grohl. He does the same thing every time," and I was like. Good point. And she's a huge Foo Fighters fan. But I was like, I really, really love that album for the perspective that it is a Foo Fighters album. And it feels like In Your Honor era Foo Fighters. Like, it feels like DOA era Foo Fighters. And I really, really fucking like that. But maybe it's also the fact that it's a great driving album. And it's coming into the summer. And regardless of the fact that we have this, like, weird orange apocalypse going on outside of our door. Dave, I don't know if you're dealing with that. And Johnny, I don't think you are. Last last weekend we did, and I didn't even notice it. It's bad in Philly. It's been orange for me. Yeah, my mom's only an hour east of you guys in Tom's River, and, and she sent me pictures this morning. And it was like orange. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was it, fucking it, weird. It's been real weird. And, dude, like, it is funny to me to hear everyone complaining about the air quality and being like, stay indoors. The air quality is bad. 
everybody smokes everybody you know what i mean like it's like what's what's it from fires or something (laughs) it's from fires in canada it's communist fires that are coming down and and polluting the northeast at least they're sharing that's nice at obviously i'm not like a fucking environmentalist or anything but i feel like being inside is not good air quality either Probably not. I don't think we live in great air quality as it is, but I'm not. Whatever, dude. They I said. Mean, I think it, it depends. On, like, if you've got decent air filters and you put like that HEPA stuff that gets those particulates out. It is so funny because they. Uh, I I forget who it was that like tweeted this out, but it was like an environmental group, and it was like being outside in New York right now is the equivalent of breathing in six cigarettes. And I was like, all right, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> like, <laughs> is that that weird for people in New York? Like, what the fuck? Like, you act like you're like walking through Montana's fresh air. Going, you should have but what kind of cigarettes good ones is there good cigarettes johnny i think there's better cigarettes like tobacco itself pure tobacco is one thing like cigarettes is another thing like it's that's basically just like a chemical it's like smoking a box of newport 100s like you know what i mean like i don't know (laughs) like i growing up my grandma smoked with the windows up like it can't be that bad regardless we're getting fucking (laughs) off topic it is summer and i know dave is a big proponent of this dave is a big like seasonal playlist guy Dave, mm-hmm. what are you rocking out and going into the summer? Uh, today I had Whiskey Myers going. Yes. Um, love Whiskey Myers, and that, that's coming from someone who's not hardly a country fan. Um, I have had Amos Lee a lot this summer so yes, far. Yes, David. Um, I had – so Dead & Co. I'm going to Dead & Co. tomorrow night, so I've been playing a lot of their live albums. We'll talk about that in a little bit because I'm a little nervous about it, but um, – I have been listening to a lot of Dead & Co. recently. I'm actually trying to teach myself Ripple on the guitar right now, and I, I just want to fucking... Good luck, out. buddy. I anything any, anything Dead-related is a whole other thing when it comes to the guitar. Like, you they, can, just, but, like, I've, I've gotten to the point where I could hear a song and be like, I think I could do that. And Ripple was one of them where I I'm like knew that it was, like, way too challenging, but at the same time, I could fake it kind of, sort of-ish a little bit. I respect that. And, um... So yeah, I, I've like fucked around on it, but I I don't have near the coordination to perfect it like I would like to because I half-ass it like I half-ass everything else. But um, a lot of dead. Uh, Amos Lee. Amos Lee is you're talking about driving music. It's fucking perfect. Windows are rolled down. Like, let's go. It's it's like it's a song about fucking driving and listening to music. Here's a cool story about Amos Lee. Amos Lee worked in the Philadelphia public school system yeah, as a teacher like a until he was 33 years old. Yeah. He was like a man. And then he was going to open mics at Dawson Street Pub, which is down the street from my house, which is a dive bar, and decided he wanted to be a musician. And then Amos Lee, dude, as far as t- like pure talent goes, Amos Lee is right up there with ever, like right up there with oh, the tops in our in current oh, music. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm on your wave right now. As far as like when the seasons change and we go into summer, it's a lot of Americana. It's a lot of country. Yeah, it's summer's Americana music for sure. Oh, all the way. Especially if you don't have the seasons. Like Johnny doesn't have seasons. It's just fucking one season. Yep. But like you, dude, Austin has seasons. Yeah, you had an. I mean, not like Chicago seasons, but I've. Yeah, half my garden died in the ice storm. That's a season. Oh no. Yeah. (laughs) So you have summer and ice storm, and that's your seasons right there. A beautiful fall. Yeah, and that um, one a wonderful spring flurries. What are you listening to? Yeah, good point, Johnny. Are you a seasonal music guy? Like, do you? I am, and I'm kind of in the same boat with you guys because I go over to my parents. They've got a pool, and just sit with my daughter in the pool and listen. It's country, like something about yeah, looking yeah, out, yeah, yeah. seeing the sunset, mm-hmm. seeing the beautiful trees out here in Hill Country. A lot of Sergio Simpson. That's where I'm Chris at. Stapleton, oh, that cool. kind yep. of stuff, you know. 
I, I was so late to the Sturgill Simpson. We are actually driving back from, oh, we are hunting uh, like early last fall. And Ryan, we put on a Sailor's Guide to Midnight. So good, oh, yeah. dude. Ooh. Dude, that uh, guy. And No, what was his last album where he? Well, he did Cutting Grass. He did The Ballad of Dude and Juanita, which was like a, he's, he's so interesting because you can go album to album and everything is different. Like there was a completely he was like in it was he was playing like like 80s music basically okay so you're talking about uh sound and fury that's what it was like, yes that's what it sound was. and yes. fury is i love to think of like sturgill in the meetings with record labels because he'll mm-hmm. do things like uh the fucking meta modern modern sounds of country music and high top mountain which are like very traditional country and then the third record he comes out and does sound and fury which is like he did an anime opera in conjunction yep. with the album yep. and it is like kind of queens of the stone age yes, modern yes, rock. yes. it was more so... like that that's a good that's a good comparison right there and then he comes back and does cutting grass which is just remakes of his old songs done in bluegrass styles and then does the battle of dude juanita which is like a legit johnny cash old school kind of like willie nelson era like southern story about a guy whose dog gets killed and his wife dies like sturgill's the fucking man dude do you know what i like about an artist like sturgill simpson is when i'm on like a tear trying to find new music sometimes i'll go through playlists or i'll just search like in a genre and most of the times i just go through the playlist like add a song i like with him and there's other artists like this like when i came across him whenever it was it was not not super long ago like a year or two ago and i just went and listened to every album you know, like yep. you're like, oh, I can just actually listen to the whole album. I know I'm going to pull eight, nine, ten songs off here that I like, and that's cool to see people making albums of good music and not just thinking like, oh, I hope this song blows up on TikTok. I'm in a, I'm in an album mode, and I think, and we've talked about this recently. I feel like there is kind of a grab back to people want actual albums, and we've seen things change over the last couple of years. But like for me, I've said this in the group chat a lot. I've said it on the podcast. I've been listening to nothing but Ryan Bingham. Ryan Bingham has been oh, the only dude, thing I've been listening to. Fucking talked about him when I was in my Yellowstone binging. He dude. is I gotta find the fucking scene, but there's a scene. It's early in the in the like the first season when they're like introducing him and he's not yeah. even a character yet. Where and I've said this before, this is how dumb my fucking music brain is. Like I judge a guitarist, and I I know a little more now that like I, I know what a chord shape is and everything, like what to look for, like you know, instead of one out of ten, it's now two out of ten. Like <laughs> But how fast their fucking fingers are moving. Oh, yeah. Up and down, both up and down the fretboard and just like throughout, like changing chords. That dude is a fucking freak on the guitar. Freak on yeah, the he's guitar. Yeah, he's an animal, dude. It's funny, too, because we've been talking with his people about having him come on for the podcast. I would and, love that, man. He's a hot so, dude, too. So, oh, he's the hottest dude alive. He's the like, hottest the whole, I was watching I, the new season of Yellowstone finally went on Peacock, so I was watching a little bit of it last night. And there's a scene where it, it's just him talking, which he has a, a mesmerizing voice. But I was like, damn, that's a hot dude. No shame oh, yeah. whatsoever as a hot he's dude. He's great in that show, yeah. too. He's like one of the best parts of the show. But He's not even an actor. They I wanted know. to license his music for the show. And then uh, Taylor Sheridan met him and was like, you should just be a character. And he was like, fuck it. I guess I'll try. His people <laughs> were even respectful when they emailed me back. And they were like, hey, we can't do it now. But we'll definitely set something up for later in the year. Let us stay in contact. And I just hit him back. I said, anytime, any place, you yep. fucking tell us and we'll be there, bro. I got um, him. So- he's like one of those guys that just like writes his music like in a little meadow out in like Montana. Yep. Like a piece of straw. <laughs> Yep. grass hanging out of his mouth like dirty feet because he doesn't wear socks or shoes 
That's Dude, I heard he lives in a studio apartment in Santa Monica, and it's all a fucking act. That's what I heard. <laughs> Fuck you. Don't ruin this for me. Yeah, he's no, I'm, ki- I'm kidding, dude. Um, but yeah, so a, a lot of good music coming out. The seasonal change is a big deal. I'm there's still like my rap shit in there, and but like the super hardcore New York shit goes away during the summer, and I'm listening to like, remember Swayze? Does anybody remember yeah. Swayze? Not really. I know sh- the name. I remember it, the name. Yeah, it, it's like a rapper and Cisco Adler who does like a lot of like uh, I don't know like beachy music and stuff like that. But like when Robin Big was big on MTV, they had this show it was called Swayze, and it was like this rapper. I'll send you guys the album. It's just summertime music. It reminds me of my first car. It reminds me of like my sophomore year of high school. Like Swayze, it's just good crappy beach music, but I love it. Dirty heads. It's summertime. You know what I mean? Like, let's let's mm-hmm. let's get into it. Dave, I'm, I'm going to you sublime for sure. Dave, you're going to Dead and Company. What are you afraid of? So, I've been listening to a lot of their like current tour. Um, that I don't think they've had any like Spotify, like actual uploads from this current tour. So what I've been listening to is just like people uploading their own video on YouTube, and it's all good. I've been following their set list like crazy because last year when I went, they played every single it was I, I've said it. It was the best concert I've ever been to. You like, And I've seen a lot of good concerts before. And um, but I was talking to a guy last night who his name was Pete. Uh, he was a bartender at this little bar down the street from me. Um, I went and got a burger and, and was chilling for a little bit. And um, he's like, close your eyes and, and picture a deadhead. He's a deadhead. Long okay. ass hair down to his ass. Uh, you could tell he hasn't shampooed it in fucking probably three decades. Um, and, and he said that he saw them, I don't know. So it, three weeks, it was three weeks ago. So wherever they were three weeks ago, I forget the city. And he's like, I'm not going, they weren't good. Bob's lost it. Like John wasn't even that good. And I'm like, dude, this is like, cause I fucking love that band and I fucking love John Mayer. And this is the last time I'm ever going to get a chance to see them. So I, I wanted to like emulate last year where they played sugary and ripple and, and Althea and like all the fucking best. Like, and I, I know that's, they don't want to do that every show, right. but I want it for my show. You know, I want it. I have to have sugary and, and you know, I have to have those songs and I'm worried. I'm not going to get them. I'm worried. I'm not going to get them. And I'm worried that Bob's like going to croak on stage. See, that's the thing. We we talked about this last week when we saw the video of Springsteen falling on stage. Our our heroes are getting old. They're nah, getting old. Springsteen, he just tripped. He's he's yoked still. He was fine. He rolled with it just fine. Yeah, that's what I said. That just looked like an innocent trip. Yeah. That one. It looked like a, it looked like a, a Joey Biden. You just fell up the stairs. No, it looked <laughs> if you want to get political. Every time a president falls and the other side just goes fucking crazy, not fit for off. I'm like, dude. I have fallen three times already today, and so have you. Shut the fuck up. I'm just more concerned about the person controlling the puppet strings. Why did right. they fuck <laughs> up? Find that dude and fire him. Oh. What did George? What did George Soros sneeze? And then- no, I don't know who. Whoever it is, I don't know who it is. It's probably the same dude with both of them, like this. Yeah, right. Like you know, those are my favorite memes where it's just like the the marionette guy and it's always like biden and trump and then it's like bobby Schmurda is the guy control you ever see i'll send this to you when i'm done here but not to get political whatever dude I, uh, so back back to what you're saying about going to see uh dead and co like it's interesting for me to hear your perspective as like a super fan of a band how much expectation you go into a concert with 
and like how much that can affect your outcome. Because like, I feel like, and I'm not yeah, saying yeah, yeah. I get it. Like I get why you do that, but it's almost unfair to the artist because like they're going in, like, here's our show. And everyone's like, that's not the show I had planned in my head. And mm. it's, it's a difficult balance to meet. And I'm not criticizing you. Like I totally get, get it. Like I want to go see certain songs from certain bands and you're disappointed if they don't, but it's like an interesting battle. No, definitely. I've never... We saw um, uh, Tedeschi Trucks a couple months back. Like that, they're my favorite band on earth right now. Like they are my absolute number one grade A favorite band on earth is Tedeschi Trucks band, like current active bands. And um, and they didn't play play a lot of the songs that I was hoping for, but it didn't necessarily ruin the experience per se. But because I'll like I'll be able to hear those songs again. I'm not gonna be able to ever see Dead and Co again or Bob Weir, right. or, you know, those right, guys. Yeah. So I want to hear just one last time them fucking like I remember last year when we talked about it last summer. That's crazy. That was a year ago already. I know. I remember the date exactly. I'm a weirdo with dates. I think I'm like autistic. It was June 26th last year was the exact. That is. Um, I can do that with movie releases a lot of times too. I remember when date the date movies are, but anyways. Um, it's the most useless X-Men. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I get nothing out of it. Nothing out of it. But um, you guys were like, I, I was like, dude, they did this thing where they like started with Sugary and like, then they blended it into another song and ended it. And you're like, yeah, medley, you fucking moron. And like, I need that again. I need that again. I need that one more time because I'm never going to get it again. You know, I don't think I've ever been disappointed when I've seen a show as far as expectations go. I also don't see a ton of concerts. I'm not a huge concert goer. Like, I love concerts, but, like, I do get semi-anxiety when I go to shows because I'm like, oh, I'd rather be doing it. Or, like, I think, yeah, like, you know, I like, can see that side, too. That I, is a thing. Yeah, when I go to baseball games, I, I could be yep. watching a Major League Baseball game. I'm like, I could do that right now better than you can. Yep. And I'm a fucking little fat stump in Chicago talking to you assholes. Well, sadly, the only show that I've ever seen that I left and I was like, oh, that was kind of fucked up was Tom Petty. The only time I've ever seen him. Yeah. I, I think you saying that. Yeah. I think Petty was a little banged up and i by the end of the set he pulled it together but the beginning of the set he kept repeating the same things over and over again after the set he'd be like thank you thank you so much and then he'd play and the, sh the songs would be kind of fucked up and he'd be like thank you like here's, here's you, was a you guys as artists say right. you know you become you know world-renowned artists hypothetically yep. speaking of course with youtube bums but um Back. If you if you are like for instance you you mentioned Willie Nelson I saw Willie Nelson last summer too I was five feet from the fucking guy the guy's arthritis was so bad in his fingers like it it was painful watching him try to grip chords but um like he played every one of his hits knowing that he's fucking a thousand years old and like none of these people are going to see them again would you right. feel kind of an obligation as an artist um say you're you know seventy five or eighty however old Bob Weir is. Uh, to play the hits for all the people knowing that they're never going to hear these live again unless it's some shitty fucking jam band cover band depends on how you sell the show like mm. if it was kind of like come see us play the hits or like that's what you're expecting then yeah mm. you got to do that but i like we're trying to do the opposite like we still play come with me now obviously yeah but I, I wouldn't say we're ever going to phase it like we're not going to try and be cool like radiohead and never play creep again but you do it gets boring not so much the playing the song but like that that becomes a thing like you'd rather just try and play your new music you know like yeah yeah yeah. I, it's, it, yeah it's like a hard thing like i get it uh, you know you don't want to be disrespectful to fans like you they that's why they came to see you is to play something you made it's a fucking right. amazing thing but it gets old in terms of 
not being able to get some of your new material out there. But again, that's sometimes that's that's just on you also like owning playing new material. I think for a long time we were afraid to just like open a show with a bunch of new songs. And then when we would do it occasionally, people would in, were into it. It was like, oh, that was our in our heads. We were worried about it, you know? In my head, when I go to see a band that I like, I want to see the songs that I like. Or I always have like one or two songs. I'm like, dude, if Dave Matthews plays Crush, I'll be happy. You know what I mean? Like that kind of a situation. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw Gary Clark Jr. right before the pandemic. And I was like, God, I hope he doesn't play this new fucking album that's coming out. Because I just want to hear these certain songs. And then he played the entire new album. And when I left, I was kind of like, that was weird. And then it made me go listen to the album. And I bought the album and I fucking love yeah. the album. And now I'm like, oh, I got to see Pearl Cadillac like the before it came out. That was fire. Mm-hmm. But if I'm Willie Nelson's age and I have goddamn 60 years of songs backlog and if I'm 80 years old, I'm probably just pulling out the hits. That's what I'm doing. There's a story. I don't know if I've told this story. It was from the Miles Davis autobiography. He was like known for being an absolute Nazi about not playing old material. Like right. he literally would not play old material at any concert. It was always the new album, the new Bruce thing that they're working on. That too. Mm. But so one year, Wayne Shorter or one of his like saxophone players from one of the famous bands had like his 70th birthday, 60th. I, I'm getting all the dates wrong. All the band was there and they asked Miles to come play as a tribute for like one of their fucking compatriots birthdays, play whatever it was from some old album. He was like, fuck no. He wouldn't do it. Like he was... <laughs> such a fucking hard ass about it and i don't know for me with him with him it's a different story because like i respect that because he was just so insistent on pushing forward always and he did it up to the moment he died was making like hip-hop albums right before he died in the 90s he's also a lunatic like yeah yeah he is but he's also miles davis you know what i mean like yeah there's some lunatics where you're like you don't deserve the lunacy kanye west Or there's other ones where you're like, okay, fine. You forgive pretty much anything because they are just such pioneers. You're really going to do that on Kanye's birthday, huh? Oh, it's his birthday today? It's his birthday today. I wonder what he does for his birthday. Like, what do you think Kanye does for his birthday? I'm so out on that. He goes Olive Garden. Everybody is. (laughs) I haven't heard his name in a fucking minute. Is he like, okay? Obviously, he's not okay, but is he Give him time. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think he's okay, but... Uh, I've seen him around. He has a new wife. He got married again. Uh, he's again. wearing shoulder pads underneath all of his clothes. He's wearing like uh, football shoulder pads. Uh, yeah, he's a different guy. He's a different guy. Uh, but I mean, no, seriously, it's his birthday today. Where is he eating? I actually can picture. What well, I think I saw a picture of him at like not Olive Garden, like Cheesecake Factory somewhere. Dude, yes, I was gonna say Cheesecake Factory. I, I swear I saw a picture like on some TMZ thing, like. He's doing it either ironically or he just legitimately likes Cheesecake Factory. I could see uh, that. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Let's go into our first interview. We'll go into our interview with Side Piece. Uh, amazing interview we did with the interns. Uh, then we'll come out quick on list off list and then end with our Moon Taxi interview. Real quick, once again, uh, brought to you by Protection Link. Uh, go to the link. We'll put it up with the podcast. Uh, Seven-day free trial, home electronics, car, RV. You don't want to be the guy with a fucked up car who has to go to the mechanic and they're like, yo, you got to pay for this. And you're like, I don't have a warranty on this. Guess what? Protection link. You will. You don't want to drop your phone, be out to eat on a date, maybe a Tinder date. You got a fucked up screen on your phone. They're like, yo, you're poor. You can't fix your fucking phone screen. Guess what? Protection link. Protect the shit that you need. Johnny, what's the dumbest electronic that you break on a regular basis? 
I mean, phone's like the obvious one. Everyone's done obvious that a one. couple times. I'm trying to think. I don't know. I'm a, I, got, mom, I got a giant scratch in my TV when I was moving here out to Texas. I just ooh. was lazy and didn't wrap it properly. It was just like yeah. fucking dragging it through a uh, the house, scratched, and I haven't fixed it. My <laughs> mom called me the other day and said, my TV is half black. Do you know how to fix this? And I was like, yeah, you fucking need a new TV. <laughs> Guess what? Protection link. There's your answer. Uh, let's go into our interview with Side Piece. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Barstool Backstage, ladies and gentlemen. You know what? This is where we're starting. I didn't record the first time. We got side piece in the building. They have a new single coming out. We got my dog barking in the background. This is exactly how it's supposed to be. Side piece, how are we, boys? And phenomenal. 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 <laughs> were, you, were you guys expecting real journalism, or was this exactly what you were expecting? This is exactly, you know, we, we is, know how it is. We this love is it. real journalism. This is the top journalist. You guys have like a fucking T-Rex on your mic stand. Uh, like I was saying so eloquently previously, we had the interns in here today who are huge fans. And I was going to give Cole the opportunity to ask the first question to which he said, uh, uh, okay. So Cole, now that you've had a second to think, why don't you ask side piece a couple questions? Go ahead. All right. All right. I'm going to start out uh, with, uh, I want to know how you guys made the shift from like, like harder EDM just straight to. Uh, the groovy, the groovy stuff, the 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 house kind of progressive house world. Well, fourscore seventeen years ago, <laughs> we uh, realized house. Me- no, um, we honestly just started like DMing. We were gonna originally collab as our our other projects like Nitty and, and Party Favor, and we we're just like talking about it. And then out of nowhere, we just started showing each other these these house records. And um, we from the beginning, from the get go, we had like three or four like almost ready to go. And um, it kind of made sense for us to to make something new. And we were both feeling that, you know, like this is something that deserves a new spotlight, a new project. It's not something that we can just like toss out as a collab. So uh, it was super organic. The very first day we came up with the name, like it, it was kind of wild. Like I remember I, I, I told him, I was like, yeah, this stupid idea. We could call it side project as like a joke. And he's like, what about side piece? And I swear to God on the first like FaceTime, it was like done. Yeah. Are you surprised how quickly the collaborative project took off? Because, I mean, this isn't that old of a project whatsoever, and it seems like you guys have just hit the fucking ground running. I, I mean, I think that in, in a sense there was a little bit of like, okay, that's, this really got legs. But I think like from our initial meeting that Ricky was just mentioning, like almost immediately I realized we were on the same page, you know, in, in terms of what we wanted to make and what he had already worked on. And both of us come from working on a ton of different genres and, you know, working for – producing for other people and different things like that. So I think like, it was like when I reached out to him and we got this FaceTime, like I had kind of wanted to breach the subject and I, I knew that of any people, this is someone who could like, you know, be able to do this in the right way. And, you know, I come from where I started. This is the music that I was like playing and DJing when I first started, you know, mixing and, and, and uh, playing shows. So like, it's kind of a full circle moment for both of us in a way. So it, it just kind of like, it felt really good. And then I think that, the songs that we had right away starting just felt like they were felt fresh and different and kind of had our spin on it. So, you know, but then I think when on my mind really blew up the way it did, it kind of was like, well, this is crazy. And we were like ready to rocket ship. And then the pandemic hit like a month and a half after it released. So that was super dope. <laughs> did the, did the experiences you guys had for like prior to joining together kind of help that trajectory as in a way of like you guys obviously worked with a lot of different people 
previous to being together. So like, did those connections help or even just the idea that you guys already had a career built help you as you guys stepped up the ladder? I think the key is like, we just learn, like, it's just, a, it's just an experience thing. Like a hundred percent. We did even something as simple as like how to tour. Well, how to have your managers plan stuff, how to schedule, how to, you know, live your life better, healthier, happier while touring and, and making music, getting in sessions, like all that stuff just made this project kind of like, flow pretty simply like we're getting back into um you know the mode of like content and social media stuff because we just spent the last four or six months touring and making music and now we kind of like got to you know it's just like we've learned and gone through these things so many times it's like it's very nice to be able to have that experience and go right back into it and it's not like oh shit we don't know anything at all in the industry it's like nice to know some of the like, quick trade secrets and stuff yeah nobody knows how important it is to be able to tour well as opposed to like going out with someone who doesn't know what they're doing are you guys like like healthy tour eaters? Be honest with me, because I still live off Slim Jims if I'm on the road. Like, don't lie. Like, are you guys no, like have chefs good. and like, shit? That's the one thing is like we're really on the same page. Like, yeah, we have some crazy like we go to Vegas and get free dinners and they give us these crazy meals. But for the most part, we're both like he's in pretty good shape. Like, I try and work out. Like, we're always trying to like you know like yeah, we love we love going to after party and like raging. But it's like this isn't like an every night. It's not sustainable. You know what I mean? <laughs> you guys live so long enough that, yeah, you can't, you guys like, live such a better lives than like rock musicians. Like you're talking about like, Oh, we go out to dinner after we go to fucking ragers. We live like shit. We don't do fucking anything. You just get back in the van and move. You guys party all the fucking yeah, yeah, time. No quaaludes, no. Uh, yeah, no <laughs> I didn't fun. say that. Yeah, I didn't fucking, fun. I didn't fucking say that. <laughs> we don't have any fun. No, of course so not. I was just scrolling through Reddit the other day and I saw like a, like someone took a screenshot of like some, he's like, Oh, I found this in my closet. And it was like an old Quaalude pill bottle. And it made me think of obviously like, you know, Wolf of Wall Wolf Street. Wolf Wall Street. But then, but then everybody in the comments was like, Oh, these were my favorite in the 80s. And all shit. I, was like, <laughs> I was like, Bro, you're kind of outing yourself here. It's pretty gnarly. But it's like, God damn it. I love drugs back in the 80s. What happened in the good old days? Yeah, Everything's yeah. gone downhill. But, uh, but thesis no. Is don't do drugs. And yes, we are, we are very healthy. I feel like the, the fucking EDM world, everybody is in good shape. Like, it blows my mind because you guys do just fucking party all the time. It's unbelievable. I feel like every every EDM DJ looks as though they could be an IG model if they wanted to be. Yeah, that's part of the, that's part of the requirements, actually. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like it's part of the, the – when you enter into the, the, the EDM DJ cabal, yeah. they, have a, they, they have like a – you know, it's like, it's like getting – Hazed in a fraternity, you know. Like, so. so after you do the blood sacrifice, you then start doing like ten thousand crunches a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Blood, yeah, we don't mention the blood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously, well, I, I want these two guys because they're both DJs. They both work. They both are fucking building up to that. Like, what's the best piece of advice you can give them? Is it get shredded? Like, is that the number one piece of advice you give? That's just life <laughs> advice, bro. Just like being in shape is just worth it for your life. Absolutely. I mean, Cole, you're a fucking college athlete, dude. You could probably yeah. Turn it on pretty I, quick. I want to look like Lil Texas. That's that's my life goal. <laughs> I want to be up on stage that's, wearing no yeah, that's clothes. Intense. Yeah, he's killing it. Yeah. I mean, cool. I think that also goes to like if you spend the majority of your set like this the entire time. <laughs> oh, I didn't even yeah. think about that. I mean, it's calisthenics. I mean, think about you. Think about your deltoids at that point. You know, it's, it's like, like just... boxing match. Lat raises. You guys are all worried about fucking mixing and you know having the best sound and the best gear when realistically it was the deltoids you've had to worry about this entire time. We really had the wrong priorities. <laughs> <laughs> so you got on a, on some real shit that you guys do have a new single coming out on Friday, uh, or did it drop? Did it drop already? Because I got it, it in my email today. Yeah, no it shit. Today. Yeah. yeah, surprise. Right. Yeah. How's that feel? Feels good. I mean, like I feel like it feels kind of cool to not have to do the usual Friday release. 
we're kind of you know getting everybody started you know early trying to you know jump in on the plays early before everybody else really front run the game I've been wondering, I've seen more and more people start moving against the Friday release. Like, that's a cognizant thing on your point. It wasn't just like, hey, fuck it, let's drop it on a Thursday. That was, like, strategic. I think we just thought about it. Like, it's just always done. And we're, we're going to continue to do it maybe another time. It's just, like, it was nice to, like, have a kind of day to ourselves. You know, nobody's probably – I'm sure someone in the world is releasing music, but there doesn't seem to be many dance people doing it right now. So it's like, yeah, we have our Wednesday ready to go. Let's, let's get it. And we, fuck- we have a lot of, like – you know, wonderful. We're very lucky. We have a lot of, you know, hardcore fans that love to listen to our music and have our saved and follow us on different, you know, music listening platforms. So it's like, it, for us, it was just a chance to just put it out and it feels like a summer song. And it's like, what, let's just get it out now. You know, no reason to, to wait. Yeah. The fucked up part is there's like still like 70,000 songs getting put on streaming platforms every <laughs> fucking day. You can't avoid it, bro. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's insane. Yeah. And then there's more every I think that's partially why, because majority of people release on Fridays. So I feel like in the next like year or so, it's gonna start being like, and people will just be dropping songs every day. Yeah, they should. I don't. I don't understand, especially in your world. Like I feel like it's such more of a vibe thing. It's like from that point, did you guys do this like based upon like what the tour schedule looks like coming up, knowing that you have this new song coming out for the summer? Like, is this pre-planned? Is in like, oh, this song could really pop off during the sets during the summer. I'm. I think there's definitely like a vibe of, you know, we want to put a song out in a time we feel it could do well. But, you know, this is one of those ones we all feel like it's pretty timeless. Like the way we made the vocal feel like a sample and stuff like that. Like definitely believe in the song at any moment. It just it's so fun to play and feels a little bit, you know, tropical in a sense. But like, I don't know, it, it almost doesn't matter, but it would be a great timing in all of our minds to put it out in the summer. And we have like a sick lineup of like, another five songs coming out within the next like you know two three months so it's just like the beginning of this cool release plan that we kind of put together yeah we got heavier songs coming out you know more vocal songs so it's like it's kind of a little mixture of both but yeah it just feels it feels like summer caleb you've obviously already listened to the song i want to get the kids table involved here caleb let's get you ask i like i have to like fucking direct and be like you ask a question now i want to hear this You want me to ask a question? Yes, I do. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> first, I, first thing I have to say is the first time I ever blacked out in my life was in 2016 when Party Favor played Ebor oh, City in Tampa. Florida, baby. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's not a question, but I love that. Not a question, but I, I did. I wanted to throw that in there because I think it's a funny little bit of my life. Um, but I, I did have a question. So when you guys first started playing together, was it just like? Did you just back to back it and figure it out, or did you like plan everything out, like piece by piece? Oh, like like how how we like got the set ready. When you yeah. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I feel like it kind of was pretty easy. We I think like the way that Ricky plans his sets and how I would plan my sets are a little different, but at the same time, I think we were both very like, hey, we want to nail this. This is kind of our first chance to play a couple shows and. I think we just kind of sat down and made like a playlist we felt fl- flowed really well and but yeah those first couple shows were were definitely kind of like us getting the groove down of how we mix together but i feel like it's been pretty it's like smooth. Feel, it feels yeah. like so long ago to remember that but it definitely was like a little more like not worried but you're like oh shit okay we gotta make it and then now it's like the most like easy fun thing where it's like i don't even think like a lot of these sets like certain festivals we would like to plan cool edits and stuff like that obviously but like not we've gone up the last like four or five club shows and just not just played an intro and just go off of it just because like we finally have that 
easy rapport. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we've got four years on the belt playing together. So it's like, we know the playlist, we know the sections, we can go to anything at any time. It's like, after learning it, it became a lot easier, like back to back in a sense. Do you guys ever do that during your set though? Do you guys ever like take kind of like your own projects and do the back-to-back style of what you guys would do? I don't think we've ever done it. No, we've really stuck to like, to make side piece, side piece. We've stuck to it being like house music. Um, and like, I don't think we've ever really played any of our other songs. It just feels like it should be its its own thing that kind of, you know, just to feel like it really is. Cause it's not, a, it, sometimes I guess it can feel like blending it, but it almost feels like pointless. Like you can go see us. We still tour as Party Favor and Nitty. So it's like, you can go see us at those shows. You know, it doesn't really need to be in these sets. It's in, it's like in my opinion. Yeah, it's it's kind of like we wanted this project to be like a, a, a legitimate, like actual new artist and group. And that's why when we when we dropped the project, we kind of wanted the music to speak for itself before it being like, hey, we're just teaming up to, to jump on, you know, in house. Because like we've been working on this for a while before I think, you know, really house became what it is now in 2023. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's been, it's been fun for that way, but you know, we still have people that like at our, at our shows will hold up like, Oh, they came up play heavy shit or whatever, you know, but, but there, it's like, it, it's, a, it's few and far between. Cause I think that, you know, we, we've really built up a great fan base of, of house music fans, which we love, you know? So I was I think, so, well, I think one of these days we'll do a little flip and, and switch something up when people aren't expecting it. Dude, I was so late to the house music thing. The entire EDM world, like you can ask these guys, like I, the first time we interviewed John Summit, I didn't even know who the fuck John Summit was. Like, I am so late to this. But the one thing I do want to ask though is like getting into that world, was it semi-territorial in the fact that people had been doing it and then it just became this giant genre? Did you feel that at all? There's always like a sense of, I think what's funny is I noticed every genre actually does it if you go deep enough into it. Oh yeah. it's like, Obviously, there's guys in house, but what's really cool is like the majority of the ones that we know, like you know, someone like John or I don't know, like Fisher or like the Chris Lakes, like none of those guys really are like that. You know, there's definitely I'm not gonna like be name dropping it, but there's definitely people that exist in that world, and maybe rightfully so. They're probably like the guys that are 40 to 50 years old and they've been playing in Ibiza. You know, they they have their thing, and maybe it feels like all these new people, but that's just like a natural thing of something becoming big. People that have been in it feel scared of it. It's like. The majority of the people and our fans, I feel like, are very open-minded and aren't really, you know, going to be all hateful towards it. It's just like, you know, that's why we try and play proper sets. And, like, yeah, obviously we're playing certain pop songs and certain things. But, like, for the most part, it's like we are trying to make proper tech house and house music. I mean, it's understandable for, like, an older, like, kind of more established name to feel a certain way. I feel like people in the rock world is are like that with Machine Gun Kelly, where it's like, who the fuck do you think you are? And I think that's yeah, also because oh, I yeah. think that's that's more of a caricature of rock and roll, in my opinion. And I can get into With that for House fucking days. I think it's interesting because that it's always been such a uh, a type of music, and especially in dance, that was especially like tech house, for example, that was always kind of reserved for like the underground <laughs> side, especially here in the states, right? Like it, in, in Europe, around the rest of the world, it's been massive, and you know you hear it on the radio. Like what we play right now has been on the radio for you know ten, fifteen years, and so like. I think that a lot of those people and like American DJs that have been in the scene and, and, you know, even European DJs, they've, they've been like, Hey, we've been working at this for so long. Right. And now all of a sudden it blows up and here's all these American kids and different kids coming up and, and taking what we've been working on. So I feel like that's where sometimes the, the, but that can happen with any genre, I feel like. So I think it's just, that's why when we came with this project, we didn't want it to be like, Hey, look at us. We're jumping on this. It's like, you know, a lot of people didn't even know it was, it was the two of us. And there's still people that are finding out, which is crazy, you know. 
because we never really announced it. It just was like, hey, side piece, here's our song. And then, you know, we had the song with Wes Diplo come out and, and you know, the rest is history. But I think, I feel like it's always felt like it's, we, we tried to do it proper, you know. Um, I think at the end of the day, even we can feel a bit of that. So we know not to overstep those boundaries. And there's like just a an unsaid line of like, okay, everybody has their little limit of like how much they're going to cross that. And like, I think we know our limit is like, about where we are we're not really trying to go too much you know whatever the word would be into like these guys territory and stuff it's like we made our own thing we have our own fans people like it you know we, we make good music like we don't there's no guilt in this it's just like the people that are going to think that are going to think that who cares out of my yeah. radar you know what i mean <laughs> did, the, did the diplo collaboration kind of give you guys legitimacy in that world <laughs> it definitely didn't hurt <laughs> what's funny is like yeah i think in the beginning but it's funny because that song was still being on tiktok that feels like the opposite of what yes real underground tech house music would be so it almost feels like it could it could have done both i don't know it's just like it got so big no one even cared anymore i think the thing is like the song isn't trying to be this like big pop song and that's what always works for like good viral songs on tiktok that are like less try hard in these like big pop songs i think that's where you're like hey like they really weren't trying to do this it just blew up you know what i mean like we legit just made something we liked and it and it worked so it's not like us trying to be like you know we're trying to make this cool dance on my pit you know it's like we're not doing that like we're making good shit and that's all we're trying to do <laughs> bro if i ever caught you on tiktok dancing like that i would cut the interview off right away <laughs> well how did the how did the diplo collaboration actually come together right before you got on you saw us like yeah I do. And literally, if you, I would have caught you guys mid TikTok dance. I would have been like, "All right, guys, this was fun. I'll talk to you later." All right. <laughs> How did the Diplo like collaboration actually come together? So I went to a camp with uh with Diplo in Bali, actually, um, in Indonesia, and then we were working on some of like his other house music, um, and then we came back from that trip. And my manager had hit me up. He's like, yo, that, that demo was really cool. And I was like, yeah, it's cool. And this is like, even to me, my ear at that time, I was, I know how to produce house music, but it's like, what was about to happen to house music was still a little bit, I was like, I wonder if it could happen. And that was one of the demos that uh, when we called, Dylan had Temptation, which is one of our songs too. And like, those are the first two songs we like listened to. And we both were like, we both feel like we have hits right now in this like house era, like kind of thing. And that's really where that happened is like, I, I remember we went to the Diplo, like, hey, like, what if we do a, a collaboration with this song? Because it's kind of just, you know, a demo right now. And we're going to make a new group and we're going to make it proper. We're going to make it all house. It's not going to feel like, you know, we're trying to transfer nitty or party favor. So it was like, same thing. Yeah, Temptation kind of, you know, there. Um, I think Acrobatic was in its early stages. There was a few of our, mm -hmm. our bigger songs that were just sitting there. And that on my mind was one of the songs that was, we were just like, man, we should make a new group for this. Like this deserves something to be a new artist, a new, you know, doing a duo somewhere. It felt like, you know, it was just part of that story of, of, of those beginning songs that kind of created side piece. So it's right time, right place. And the right place Absolutely. was a fucking camp in Bali. Absolutely. Yeah. God damn it. You <laughs> guys slightly, are so much cooler the than we are. Time because it came out literally right before COVID. Well, a lot, dude, it fucked everything up. Let's not act like it didn't, but it all wound up working out regardless. And it also didn't hurt the fact that, that was when TikTok boomed and then it it's happened true. to catch at the right time. It's absolutely true. It, it so, might not have happened that way if it 
TikTok had that's very true been going. The other thing I did want to ask too, because I'm a child of like fucking late 2000s hip hop, like that was like my grade school situation. And the fact you got an official remix to fucking Amili, how did that happen? Yeah, mind blowing. That was like, that was crazy. We because so what's 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 great about like working with him and and our project is like we work really well, like just off our laptops, and we work like on the plane or in the hotel room and. A lot, like a majority of our songs have been done not in a studio like the one we're in right now, but like literally, I'll have an idea and send it to you, or vice versa, and be like, "Yo, like Montreal or something." Yeah, finish that. And we were in Montreal for the Il Sonic Festival, and uh, we had an after party that night. And so I was like sitting in the hotel room after the set, and we were, we were just kind of killing time, and I was kind of bored, and I, you know, we started messing around with this early idea, and so we were playing the set, and I'm like, "Yo, Ricky, like I made this in the hotel room. Let me let me throw this on," and it was like. A very early version of it it was like one drop in like the first little bit of what you hear now and he's like okay whatever dude yeah play it dude, play it and so i played it towards the end right and and, and the crowd was like oh yeah this is dope it's dope and so we went back in together we finished it up i think right and then and then we played it at some other big festival like the week after it definitely went off though in that first club too it was just like short and then like you said the second time it was like holy shit this is a bomb like it was yeah. a legit like club bomb like, but it but it was like made like sometimes we make stuff that's more of like what's called like a DJ tool, right? Which is like for our sets, for us that we, you know, when you come to see us, we want you to hear stuff that you're never gonna hear anywhere else. And we like played it and we it started going crazy. And then we just like I don't remember how we got in touch with Interscope, but they they heard it and then they saw a video of it going off at the show and they're like, Oh, okay, this is legit. And apparently it's the only remix, official remix ever of Amelie so far. Did you so, have to go through Wayne's lawyers and shit like that? Or have you ever Wayne had contact with Wayne? Gave the, gave the approval. Oh, shit. Oh. Yeah, which made, that made me, a young, a young me, very, very happy. Well, I mean, he was God for about six years. Oh, you know what I mean? God. Like, I mean, he's still up there. He, oh, easily still. But like, you think about like, oh, six through like 11. Like, that was the only thing on the radio was Wayne. Untouchable. He was Absolutely. untouchable. If there was one artist that you guys could, in theory, do the same kind of a thing with, where you remix one of their songs, one of these God-level guys, not Wayne, somebody else, who would you pick? You mean like a ra ra rapper or just any musician? Any musician. Could be a rapper, could be a rock star, could be country, doesn't matter to me. Who would it be? This may be an individual answer. Yeah, we could probably do two answers. That's, that's crazy. We could remix anything. I don't know, that... Uh, yeah, but did you ever think you would do it with Wayne, though? You know what I mean? Like, this is pipe dream season. This is like pipe dream season. Jeez. I feel like we have some started too that would have been cool. Like, I mean, I feel like if, if we're talking about like hip hop, I mean, like B.I.G. or something like that would be crazy. You know, yeah, that'd be fucking nuts. His sound and the power of his voice, his voice on house is you know, and people have obviously they sample it all the time, but I so I think it's not like it's 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 he's kind of like Missy Elliott, he's been like sampled five million times. Um, that's honestly a really. I mean, we technically did it. On my mind is what kind of what Missy Elliott, but like, like her catalog, you can. Dude, Missy's the best, and I feel like so many of her tracks do flow well into like remixes yeah. for the EDM world. So much. And shout out Timberland because she produced a lot of that early stuff too. At least Dude, the early two thousand stuff. Missy, fucking Aaliyah, like Timberland was all over the place with that shit. Yeah, I mean that whole era is like. I think on my mind might have been like one of the like pioneers of that where it's like 
it created this like whole sample thing where like you know in a good way everybody started copying it. i think that helped the, the culture for it but it was like that's that era that you know all my mind came from and then everyone started doing it. it's like because the flow of that r&b slash rap shit on 125 plus house beats is just like well, now the craziest shit is you can sample Biggie doing Nas through AI and shit like that. Yeah. Like, have you guys fucked around with the AI shit at all? I have. It's it's pretty crazy. It's just like everything's about to get copyrighted, so it's like it's gonna be like likeness. Like, you couldn't use a picture of Biggie unless it's a state, you know, did it. So it's gonna be the same thing. They just got to figure out a way to regulate it, and then it's gonna be cool. Like everyone's gonna figure it out. But it's like, right. you know, it's it's, it's gonna be an interesting. Like crypto, you know what I mean? It's the wild west right now. Like I've I've fucked around with it and made some crazy shit, but I just. I don't know what to do with it because <laughs> the lawyers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's for, for shows and sets. There's like, I mean, in, in, in theory, you can play it. It's kind of a gray area, right? Like you can play this song. It's like a lot of times if you're making money off of it, but then they can say, oh, you're making money off of it by playing. But it's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a super gray area, but I don't know. I mean, Cole Whatever. and Caleb have been fucking around with the AI shit like crazy. Cole, what did you just make? I made uh, Michael Jackson singing Evacuate the Dance Floor by cascada <laughs> it, like, i gotta hear that that's a good one it's on our instagram like, someone, Check it out. So, i did someone i heard did like michael jackson doing like ice spice or something oh jesus that's, christ he, he's the he's the best voice to do it because it's he's got such a wide range he could do high pitch low pitch and he's got such a very distinct like voice pattern that it'll just like and then all the little ad libs that he he yeah yeah those <laughs> those just make it, that make it these perfect. two guys call me old because i just don't want to fuck with it i don't believe in it i don't believe it's i don't like the ai shit i don't like it at all colin just found out what an algorithm was like two weeks ago i know what an algorithm is about it. <laughs> do you guys heard of these algorithms it's crazy <laughs> wild these damn kids out here fucking damn. with algorithms dude i don't know i'm old school i just don't like the shit i don't care for it i don't care about it i just want to make things it's all i really I mean, care I feel about like i feel like it's one of those things where you have to embrace technology as it comes otherwise you get left behind but i do sure. think that there's a way that like to do it in a way where like you can how does it how can it positively affect our ability but yeah i don't know i mean I, it's weird for me i always still i'm still the believer of like when it comes to music or art or anything like that yes of course i mean like mid-journey and stuff right now is insane like what it can do but there's something still that like what people can do when they are thinking and touch and create especially with music, you know, it's like, I really think it's hard, at least right now for a computer to have that same impact on like art or music or whatever. I mean, yeah, and I mean, you got, is, it's like, it's a tool. Like you, you can't, like I, I've messed around with it. Like if someone who's just a, a, not a musician or not a thing tries to do it, it sounds like shit. You know what I mean? Mm. It still takes a quality person, talented person. It's the same thing as downloading splicer, you know, downloading Ableton, and someone back in the day w with a mixing board had been like, oh, that's devil and sorcery. Everyone's going to be able to make music. I don't like it. It's not true. People make fucking horrible music on Ableton and FL Studio every day. Someone like you could buy a mic and be the worst interviewer of all time. And then there's someone like you, much better than them. Or, I mean, depending on what we're going to say. But no, I'm just kidding. I'm okay. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> but, but you what? get what I'm saying. Like, I get what you're saying. Good at it. It's always going to require talent. Uh, you know who Tom Green is? Tom Green, the comedian that Freddie got fingered. He had a great That's post on. Name. I haven't heard in a while. I know, right? Me too. But the, he had a tweet the other week that went viral, and he said, "I've been thinking about this a lot when it comes to AI." And he's like, "I think the reason why some people really like it is because they're not talented, 
and they've never been creative in their lives. Now they have this tool and they now understand for the first time what it feels like to be creative and make shit. Even though they're not really making anything, they're just using the AI to make something that seems cool. So maybe it is giving some people that feeling of being creative for the first time. And they're like, oh, fuck, this is dope. So we might get some cool shit out of it. You never know. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think that it's good because it's going to like, it's just like anything. Like you never want to be replaced. You never want to be like, there's always, I just think that like how art and music, whatever film, you know, anything gets progressed is you need like that constant change and that constant feeling like, you know, something nipping at your heels. Cause I think it kind of keeps you going. At least for me, it does. Like I always feel like I don't want to get stuck doing the same thing. But. Yeah. I get that a hundred percent. It'll eventually, I mean, it, it, AI is better at replicating than, replicating than it is creating on its own. So I think it keeps, I think it's going to keep a lot of artists, especially in like the EDM world where a lot of things can be replicated. It's going to keep, keep a lot of people honest. Ooh, I never thought about it like that. Caleb, out of the clouds. <laughs> I love that. Now, I do have one thing before we get out of here. On the technical side, interns. Do you guys have anything you'd like to ask? Like DJ related, like just pure DJ nerd questions. How do you pick the perfect snare? Ooh. <laughs> you know, the perfect snare picks you. That's yes. it. Yes. <laughs> Ricky and I, before before we produce, we sit down and do a seance for the perfect snare. And uh, what sacrifice? Yeah. We're, oh, we're that's. <laughs> circle, and then the, and then the snare, the, the snare number just comes to us in our ear, you know. And, Damn, the house music world is way yeah, more yeah, satanic yeah, yeah. than I thought it was, dude. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, yeah. Wait till you get to the dubstep a, world. We're gonna have to the, kill you. We have our own gods. Yeah, the, I feel like the dubstep world would have like a little more of a satanic edge, dude. Have you seen <laughs> the the void sets? No. Yeah. I don't, don't know what that is. <laughs> don't do any, don't do any drugs. We're, we're, it's there. We're getting off topic. We have a we've we've just built up our own like over the years now of doing this. We've actually built up the side beats like a sample bank that we use for all, like a lot of our drums and stuff that we use we've like created a folder so he and i can just grab from it and kind of have kind of use some unique little effect sounds and just simple drums kicks that we've made uh, you know snares claps i'll give oh. you a secret it's a uh, mark knight uh samples on slice there you go have fun <laughs> <laughs> Right, right that down. You just changed these guys' fucking lives, dude. Well, I, I was gonna ask that. I was gonna ask, like, what's what's your t- your go to percussion, like your top drums? What's what's your you know is it is it like a bongo that you always use in a song? Like, what's the the one sample that you'll use every time? I, I think the key is like, yeah, we take samples and we take loops, and then we layer, you know, four or five, or cut it up in a new rhythm, so it doesn't really always have to be exactly whatever the sample was. And like, I think we're both pretty good with drones, like making them feel like a new pattern in a sense, you know, new in a sense, obviously everything is always going to be similar, but to a sense that not other producers are going to have the exact loop. Like you can't just go on slice and get the exact one because we fucked the rhythm up for it to be a side beat. Right. Yeah. But I think just like what makes an artist or someone unique is a lot of times just how you use the tools that you have. Right. Like, but I think that like, you know, we have a couple, like we use a 909 clap on the majority of our songs. We might layer it with something else for each sound or like a tighter snare on some, you know, thing. Or like he said, like take a loop, chop up certain parts of it or, you know, you know, mix it up or change the way it's flowing and, and then layer it with whatever else. So there's, it's not like there's one specific, like, here's that trick. It's just like, it depends on the song and the tone. Like each song has different, 
like an, an energy that it needs and the drums need to match that that song i think the long answer is like it takes us away like we everybody still struggles with that you're always still like the best house producers in the world are still sitting here like this sounds like shit for sometimes you know what i mean like we we all go through it i guess it's just how much patience do you have to push through it and then stumble upon you know what i mean like like i really feel like that's what like really great music does a lot of time is like you're just patient enough to stumble onto it coming down and like actually like i know it sounds like a little corny or spiritual but like i really think you have to like be open and like let things come to you because like all the best ideas i feel like of like i remember sexy i was in like a thrift store with like my girlfriend we were just like singing this stupid like line like sex with me is sexy that's sexy and i was like oh yo and i texted him i was like yo check out this voicemail and then he like started something and then we ended up making a whole ass song from this stupid thing where I was just in a store not paying attention, like working out, taking a shit. Like I feel like half my good ideas are when you're just not paying attention. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. They come when you're not trying to like make music. Yeah. And then and I mean, like, fuck, I need to make this right now. Everybody has that one place where things come to them. For me, it's driving. Like if I'm when I'm driving, all my voice memos in my phone, you can hear the wind whipping through the fucking windows because I'm I'm just mumbling something into my phone. Would you say taking a shit is your number one place where you get your ideas? Not mine, but maybe for <laughs> it's, a good, it's a good one for me. Good one. I like the car one too. I definitely feel that. Mine's mine's in the middle of the night, waking up from a cold sweat. <laughs> uh, mine's, Wake yeah, up, mine's scream. Driving. Usually, I get it when I'm driving, and a lot of times I'll be like. When I'm driving, I like to listen to music that's like not what we make. I listen mm-hmm. to like literally everything under the sun, and it's always inspired by something else. I'll like hear something, like, oh my god, that gave me this cadence idea, yeah, or this yeah, flow, yeah, or this yeah. idea, or whatever. And it's not like ripping that, but it's like, oh my god, I didn't think about that that way. How could it work in our world? So, I think that's what's cool too. Is like for us, it's always it's been really fun because I think that we because we came from like outside this world, coming into it has been really fun because I think we've brought unique sounds and styles to our music at least. I think that's what you know our fans have, have, have found. I help. I do, I do have one more question. Um, is it so on the industry side? Is it just completely different people for every genre of EDM, or are you running into like the same like, you know, A and R, same whatever, or is this just a whole separate like section? I mean, I definitely think that there's like in each subgenre of dance music, there's definitely like the right people and there's people you know that are the right people to know but i think in, in the, especially i feel like in this day and age i feel like there's managers like like my, my management team has artists artists that they do that are like trap and bass and then they have house and they've got you know this and then and same with yours and i think yeah i mean i think that there's like kind of both there's, i mean but i do think that there's it's good to seek out the people that are have been in and, and know that the, the genre that you are wanting to be in and have been there for a minute because they are obviously going to know more than someone who's trying to like hop on it because it's popular. It's definitely like a passion thing, as I think is what he's trying to say. Is like you definitely find usually better people when they are excited or enjoying whatever genre you're talking about. And like, yeah, that can change. Like maybe the guy in a dubstep or like a void set was a big fan of metal, and then maybe someone that was like gonna help A&R side piece was a huge fan of you know some 90s house music from from 2000 you know it's like it, you're definitely gonna find the but it, it is funny because like electronic music is like most people are pretty good at knowing wide areas of it so you really can like find people that are in both it's just you know there's that extra bit of like this guy knows what the fuck he's talking about because he's legitimately been listening to house music 
since 1990. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like you're really you're getting into a different area there. Anything on the industry side, if you can find someone on the business side who is actually passionate about the music that you're making, get in touch with that person. Because sometimes you do get the people who are behind, I don't know, A&R's labels who are just in it because it's a job. And there's other people that are really, truly passionate about the shit that they're doing. Find those fucking people and try and work with them. I think that's like a great piece of advice. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. All right. We've kept you guys long enough. Side piece. Uh, new single out now. I need you. Where are you going to be on tour soon? Uh, everywhere and anywhere. Where are we this weekend? Chicago? Yeah, Chicago, I think we're doing. Heat Wave Festival. Heat Wave. Oh, shit. Sure. All our boys are out there. Um, yeah, yeah, Heat Wave. And then, and then yeah, well, then we're at um, Day Trip, which is back here in L.A., uh, out at the pier, which is going to be crazy. Uh, lots of, you know, wonderful people. We've got so much stuff this year, uh, this summer. Um, Europe. Europe, a couple other festivals. I think there's one very exciting show we've wanted to play for a while that – I don't think they've announced our weekend yet, but we're playing that. And then, um, yeah, we, we kind of like toured like crazy in the beginning of this year, like back to back. We did like literally two tours back to back in the fall of 2022 and 2023. So it's been kind of cool to like come back down, work on music, release a bunch of music this summer. And then we've got a big tour in the fall we're going to announce too. So every time we, anytime we talk to anybody from your world, I'm just reminded how much cooler you, you guys are than anybody in my world. You guys get to fucking go to Europe, play awesome shows, dude. Fucking congratulations on everything, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. No problem. Seat's always up. We should do one of these at a show. Yeah, that would be very rad. Yeah, we should do that. I think we should do that. We should 100% do that. And then you guys, and then we're not, we'll all be in the same place, which would be cool. Bring the dinosaur with you. Oh, damn. Okay. That's a lot of pressure. (laughs) And And then Caleb won't be like the only vertical person. Yeah, dude. well, so you have to understand Dante usually is our, one of our co-hosts and Dante is always in a car because he's always traveling like literally every episode. It's like everybody in their respective studios around the country. And then Dante is just in a fucking Uber, like the shittiest sound quality humanly possible. So, I mean, Caleb's just kind of giving you the effect of what you would usually get on here. And then <laughs> there goes the sound. <laughs> all right, ladies and gentlemen, side piece. It's been a fucking pleasure. We'll see you guys soon, all right? Thanks, guys. Adios, boys. All right, so that was our interview with side piece. Go listen to their new song. Go see them at clubs all around the world throughout the next year. Fucking amazing story. Great guys. I can't wait to do one with them in person. DJs live a much cooler life than rock stars, by far. DJs, all they do, again, it's Dante. You just go... You play songs, and then you go to like a VIP somewhere and drink champagne. Like that's, that's fine. Literally- yeah, yeah. They live a, uh, a an easier partying life. If that's if that's how you're defining cool, yeah. Yeah, facts. Uh, on the list, off the list. Uh, Dave, who's on your list? On my list this week, I'm going to go with Dana White. Ooh, power slap. Let's go. <laughs> Dana White sent me personally. I know I got the blurry background thing. Um, a little cocktail book. Oh, you got the Howlerhead. Yeah, Howlerhead, his uh, his whiskey brand, and he autographed it for me. Look at that autograph right oh. there. <laughs> the I, I was like, they they UFOs. Yeah, it looks he like looks he's, like he's oh. he looks like he's drawing sand traps on a golf course. But I um, <laughs> I I was I was told they were going to be interviewed, so I thought they were a joke. Those those are not interviewed, autographed. So I thought it was a joke. Like one of my buddies at the UFC, which I do have a, a buddy there um autographed it and like that shit i googled his signature and sure enough that is his signature so shout out to dana white i love ufc now it's an outstanding sport 
I do know a couple people in the UFC just from doing content with them over the years. Jamal Hill, he's the uh, light yep. heavyweight uh, title holder right now, belt holder. Um, Aljamain Sterling, who is the uh, yep. featherweight. I think he's featherweight or bantamweight. Feather, he's one of the smaller weight classes. Um, he's their title holder. Know him a little bit. Um, and then uh, Chicago, of course. Um, Curtis Blades, he is a heavyweight, monster of a human. But I've gotten to watch, I've said this before, I've gotten to watch UFC. It's beautiful having an interest in a sport where you just watch it because it's entertaining and it doesn't fucking yep. destroy every ounce of emotions you have. Like, my team's all yes. And it's yes, I agree with that. Yes, it is so well because it's when you're watching UFC, you're watching one person, you understand that they're fallible, like they're gonna lose eventually. Whereas with a team, like it changes over, you're always thinking, like, this they're gonna always win. Well, yeah, my sports teams control my happiness, so therefore, and this is just like I'm rooting for it. Like, most of the time, I do gamble it on it a little bit here and there, but most of the time, I'm just rooting for the fucking best knockout possible. And I mean, it's me with golf. I don't have a rooting interest in golf. I just love the sport. Yeah, and I'll watch it. And that's I don't actually, mind. obviously, they're polar opposite sports. One's like a like combat sport to the max. The other's you know nice buttoned up, no physical contact at all. But it's very they should combine them. Regard. What's that? They should happy, combine them. Happy Gilmore too. Yo, yes. <laughs> With you, I, love dude, I actually love watching golf as much shit as I talk about baseball oh, it's electric, being man. boring. I love, golf, man. I love watching golf. I love golf. Elect- like if, if you get a good uh Sunday with like guys going back and forth, it's electric. Bro, how do yeah. we not talk about the fucking live tour combining with the PGA after everything that was said and happened? Unfucking. I don't see, I don't know anything about it. I just like to watch it. I know, but let me, I know let me like run this deal. down. Like, let okay. me run this down for you real quick. So the Saudi Arabian like public fund, which is just like the richest group in the entire world started their own golf tour last year and paid a bunch of people from the PGA tour, like the top talent, like hundreds of millions of dollars to come play on this tour. The PGA saw this and was like, oh my God, we're going to lose our sport. So they started invoking 9-11 as a reason why these guys shouldn't go and join the Saudi Arabian terrorism. tour. Yeah, Saudi, Saudi yes. Arabia did. Yeah. Literally, literally the, the head of the PGA tour was like, if you go join that, just know you have blood on your hands. And uh, by the way, like you've never had to apologize for being in the PGA tour. You're going to have to apologize for this. So it was this big schism in golf and like guys didn't take the money because they were like, I want to stay loyal to the PGA tour within a fucking year. The guy who runs the PGA tour combined with live and all those dudes who didn't take the hundreds of millions of dollars and stood up for the PGA tour. Now I have to look at this guy and be like, what about nine 11, dude? What about all this shit? Dude, you said every time. So, okay. That's um, an, amazing story because every time something like this happens it's just another reminder that anytime any large organization is getting moralistic about anything yep. don't believe what they're saying don't believe Ever. it dude it's all pander and bullshit yes yeah. it is <laughs> all Jay that Monahan, money. you weenie all that man uh. money uh i'm kind of forget that like when you think of the nfl or the the nba like for some reason, I think of them like it's a country or like it's some kind of uh, nonpartisan government-run agency or something like a nonprofit, and you kind of forget like no, it's just a it's like a fucking company. Yep. Yeah. You know, it's like it's weird, like and and it's so much a part of public life. I uh, I decided I'm skipping on the list this week because my off the list pissed me off so much. All right. What is okay. That? I'm about to rant for a minute here. I think this might piss off Dave too. So I'm at the bar the other night. 
and this hypothetical question comes up and it's what is the most rewatchable movie of all time? So 16 people on my side of the bar all sitting there and my answer is very obvious. It's Goodfellas. Goodfellas is on TV constantly. It is, I watch it from beginning to end all the time. It's always on AMC. And I'm like, that's a great answer. Of the four of the 16 people on my side of the bar, 14 of them had never seen Goodfellas. How is that even humanly fucking? How old were they? You need to check older their than, IDs. <laughs> most of them older than me. Most of them That's older than me. Pretty fucking dude. I, I spazzed out so hard I had to walk out behind the bar and walk in circles. The I chef would, walks I over. I wouldn't me. care like, that they hadn't seen it. I think that the chances of getting 14 random people together that haven't seen that movie is like <laughs> a lottery ticket. That's what you know? I said. I was like, I I was so shocked because I thought that I was like, th- that's like me walking up and being like, what's your favorite Beatles song? And someone looking at me and going, huh? Who? Like, it's good, fellas. It's literally on TV seven I, days of the week. I mean, when did that come out? It was like 1990. 90, yeah. yeah it was 90. I mean, I wasn't born. No, I, I know, but dude, listen, come on. Colin, you could be in Goodfellas. Like, there's a certain, <laughs> there's a certain um, appeal that movie's yeah, gonna have to you. And I'm with you. That like, that's probably in my top five movies of all time. I love I that did, fucking movie. I did get to have but, a moment. So this woman at the bar was sitting there, and she was like, "Well, are you Italian?" And I was like, "Yes." And she was like, "Well, maybe that's why it is because it's like representative of your culture." And I was like, "Well, first so, of all, yeah, half of Goodfellas though is about an Irish dude, yes, though." But I said, I did get. To, I went. <laughs> Okay, so you're boiling down Italian culture to the mob and people killing each other. I was like, so that's what that's what that's what you think of Italians? And she was like, no, that's not. And I was like, no, 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 that's what you said. <laughs> I got to, I got to like hit the high ground for a second. And then you threatened like, to kill her. Oh yeah, obviously, dude. I was. You want to you want to sell cocaine? I was like, what's the deal here? What are we doing? No, dude. So that- I fucking I love that movie and. I don't know. For me, that and Casino are actually like always teetering between which one I prefer more. Okay, I have a reason why Goodfellas, I like it more. One of my earliest memories of a human being, of walking into the like my dad watching TV and knowing I shouldn't be watching this, he was watching Casino on TV. It was probably like 97, 98. I was young. And uh, the only thing I saw was the scene where Pesci gets murdered in the field with the bats. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's and him and his brother. Brutal. That scarred me. And I was like, what the fuck? And I remember the scene, but I didn't know what the movie was. And then Dude, it, like, that's Martin Scorsese does violence so like uh, real. Viscerally, yes. Yeah, it's like you felt all you could. I can still hear the sound of those bats. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. Dude. So and, when I went but back if and you I'm, watch it close, you can tell they're plastic. Oh, they, yeah, yeah, but still, absolutely. like, yeah. <laughs> but um, Sharon Stone in that movie, like, I mean, she's oh, fucking she's beautiful, but beautiful holy shit, anything. I've never seen a better performance. Should she win something for that? I think she, she won probably actress. not because they never. Okay, but good. That's what, what I was pissed say, me they never off about that movie good was the fact that fucking Ace Rothstein is a simp. He just fuck. You could have cut that movie could have been five minutes long. He could have been like, ew, get out of here. But he just no, dude, that's ginger. the whole that's the I whole know, inter- intricacy know. of the movie and everything is like the it's the relationship of this guy who runs everything. Yeah, please do. I don't think I've ever told this on this show, but I've told it many times elsewhere. But um, my first apartment when I moved downtown Chicago from the suburbs, uh, I was living with a high school buddy, still one of my best friends. Um, the so I he viewed the apartment because he was already living in the city. And I didn't even look at it. I just trust, trusted his judgment. You know, it wasn't a big deal to me. It was our first like kind of starter apartment living away from our parents. I was like 22, 23 years old or whatever. So he sends me the lease. He's like, yeah, this is where we're living. This is a perfectly fine spot. And it's actually a good price. It was for $1,300, two bed, one bath, like 
800, 900, square, whatever. Um, he sends me the lease and our landlord's name was Nick Spilatro. Now in Casino, Joe Pesci's character was named Nick Santoro, but the name Santoro yeah. was fake. It it was based off of Nick Spilatro. So Nick Spilatro, my yeah. landlord, was the nephew of Joe Pesci in that movie. They So that part of the movie is completely Hollywoodified. They never knew where he he turned up for for decades. Right. Decades. After after they they figured he was murdered because he just disappeared and vanished. But um, they found his body. They found his remains right outside O'Hare Airport. And another girl I went to uh, college with uh, her next door neighbor in Bensonville, Illinois. So it all kind of tied together. So um, this landlord of mine absolutely <laughs> loved us. Uh, Cause it was all older people in the building, like in their forties and fifties, he loved having, you know, the youths in the building and uh, really good, really good guy. And, but like his name is when he sent me, I'm like, dude, do you know who this, this Spilatro is? Cause he's like everybody from outside Chicago always hears Al Capone and gangsters and the, you know, prohibition yeah, yeah. And everything. Obviously it never stopped. There's still very much organized crime in this city. And Nick Spilatro, I'm like, uh, I don't know if we should be moving in. He's like, oh, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. So we signed that lease because it was fucking dirt cheap. But we paid him in cash every month. Obviously, he was <laughs> some funny business. He's uh, obviously ev- evading the government. Hell yeah. Somehow, some way, somehow, which I don't care. You know, I don't, I'm I'm ignorant, but obviously. None of your business. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, very, he was great to us. If we had like an issue with the washer or dryer, it was fixed within the hour, you know, shit like that. But that's my uh like kind of tie into the movie casino. That's but they did find his body. It never sick. it never happened in a cornfield. Damn. And in like oh 2000, you can look this up actually. It was in like 2010 they found his body because I was in college and my friend Natalie, she's like, Holy shit, like they just found this dead body, this old mobster. It was Nick Santoro from Casino. God damn. Yeah. Fuck. I need to go back and rewatch that movie. It still fucks me up that James Woods was like the uh, the, the hot side piece guy. Yeah, like whatever. The pimp, yeah. yeah. Yeah, fucking fuck James Woods, dude. Dude, um, the, even the, everything. I, I could go on about that movie forever. The costumes, like just the suits that De Niro is wearing are so fucking oh, yeah. like perfect, you know? Just standing with a cigarette like this the entire yeah. movie. Yeah. Just like that. Um, all right. Any anything else we got on or off the list? We'll get the uh, fuck out off of here. the list is my office right now. It's literally like 13 degrees in here, and I'm I love a good AC. Um, this is a little too much. Like it got to the point where I had goosebumps and like I, I have my my hands under my thighs right now in this chair because my hands are so fucking cold. I'd always rather be too warm than too cold. I'm That's not complete man. opposite. I'm not complaining about this because if it was too hot and I'm sweaty and fucking gross, like yeah, but you can always take more too, clothes. It's a little too cold in my office right now. Uh, fuck that. Um, okay, well, we'll get out of here. We have another interview to take you guys out. Uh, we have Moon Taxi. Shouts out to Western Moon Taxi for coming through. Me and Johnny did this interview yesterday. You can find it on our YouTube already. Uh, so anything else from you guys? See you guys next oh, week. Man. Oh, man. How the dead show goes tomorrow. All right, oh, yeah. don't do drugs. Don't do drugs. I won't do drugs. Yes, you will. Uh, this is our interview with Moon Taxi. All right, ladies and gentlemen, on the guest list this week, one of the only recurring guests that we've had on this podcast. Different member, same band. They have a new record coming out on Friday. We got Wes from Moon Taxi. Wes, how are you, brother? Hey, how's it going, dude? Thanks Good, for man. Me. Yeah, no problem. We had Trevor before, uh, mid-pandemic, like legitimately middle of the pandemic. Same issue, actually. We were talking about Zoom before this, but 
his Zoom, he dropped out like six times because he's in fucking Tennessee in the middle of the woods. And the right. interview, the interview was literally like, so how are you, man? And it'd be like, it, 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 and then it'd be like, start over. Like this, this podcast started in a pretty fucking low key way. <laughs> pretty low mm-hmm. fucking budget, dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's in, he's in a commune in Franklin, so yeah, it's a little spotty with the service out there. So, uh, please forgive him. I love Franklin. I fucking love Franklin. I actually record out of a studio in Franklin. Oh, you're so, in Franklin. Nice. Okay. No, cool. I'm in I'm in Philadelphia. I come down you're there. You're in to Philadelphia. Fucking- <laughs> okay. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Okay. Sometimes. Isn't that uh, that band Colony House uh, went out and toured mm-hmm. with us? They're from Franklin, I believe, right? That's yep. right. Yep. yep. Yeah. Good dudes, man. Goddamn yeah, national. Nashville and the surrounding area are just, it's just so goddamn ridiculous. Are you guys from Nashville? No, we've lived here at least half our life. I've been here since 05. We all went to Belmont, uh, which Mm. is here in town. And um, so that's where we met. But yeah, I mean, collectively, we've been here for over, God, 15, six, no, God, longer than that. Since 02, actually. Wow. I mean, dude, um, it's crazy. The, the it's band cr- came. The, the three of the yeah, it's crazy to me because I've been coming to Nashville since like 2015, and I feel like the town has changed so fucking much. And you've been there since '02. Like, what has the transformation of Nashville really been like to be someone that's been on the ground floor the whole time? It's it's you know, it's bittersweet. It's great to see the city thrive, but it's also sad to see some of our favorite venues and restaurants and places um you know go under from you know some big uh, development groups and you know especially the accident i'll give an example you know one of our favorite venues it's been a nashville staple for 50 years it's now going to be a high-rise condo and a friend of ours was of ours was the promoter so it's just kind of tough to see that but you know um there are a lot of great new restaurants uh, there's a lot of money being pumped into the city, a lot of great events. We had the NFL draft that the band actually got to play a few years ago. We're going to get a new football stadium. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely kind of exciting, but, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of old souls, so it's a little tough to see some of the transformation um, at the same time. So Let's cycle through that statement there. It's like, yes, money is good, but also the exit in is fucking a legendary venue and you're gonna put a high rise there it's like philadelphia all the old venues went out and all the new venues are in and they're great like don't get me wrong live nation does a great job with the fillmore and brooklyn bowl but like did they get to you colin what live nation did they get to you you're talking about (laughs) my pile of money is sitting behind me of course yeah no they have their warts i did just play a live nation venue like three weeks ago so shouts out to brooklyn bowl but it's just like it's funny to me to see Nashville become what Nashville is now based off knowing what I know it used to be in a way. And like, I mean, there's still like the basement East and the basement and there's still like some fucking great venues, three crow fucking still drinking bushwhackers out in the back there. Like there are great spaces, but it's like to have a band that's so Nashville heavy and coming out of Belmont and having the history that you guys have. I'm just curious, like if you could have your druthers, would you keep the old venues instead? Yeah, of course. I mean, yeah, you know, they seemed to have been doing well enough to stay in business, you know, for 50 years. And some of these all other venues somehow managed to survive the pandemic. So, yeah, of course, we want to see the, the little venues that could survive. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, to your point, a lot of these bigger venues that are coming in, like Ascend and the, the forget the great whatever the venue is out in franklin now first america you know a lot of those are live nations so they're just kind of getting bought up by the corporate machine and 
uh, we're we're just so close to the. We have literally, I mean, by, by 2015, we literally played just about every venue in, in, in town at the time, other than like the honky tonks. But, you know, we did four New Year's Eves at Exit Inn. Those were some of the first sellout shows we ever had. We did, I think, yeah, Third and Lindsley's still around. We did yep. um, a, a New Year's Eve there and, you know, just sort of rose the ranks, you know, and eventually made it to the Ryman and then eventually went to, went to uh, Municipal Auditorium, which was you know, probably our biggest ticketed show. Our biggest show ever in Nashville was definitely the draft. That was a quarter of a million people. So I doubt we'll ever top that, but um, that wasn't exactly a hard ticket event. But uh, yeah, so it's it, it's been really cool to see, you know, our, our own progression uh, venue wise in the city. Cause you know, we started out, you start out playing house parties like every band does. And, you know, to step on the Ryman stage, you know, 10 or so years later, it's, it's a Pretty cool feeling and, and, you know, really uh, makes you appreciate the city and what it has to offer, you know, bands like us. Let me ask you a a little bit about the community of Nashville. Like, is it a supportive community? Is it a cutthroat community? Like, you know, L.A. is on the cutthroat side of things. I just moved out to Austin a couple of years ago, and that feels completely more on the supportive, like everyone's just gigging together side of the scene. Where does Nashville fall on that? I would say, you know, a little more. Or, you know, I, I mean, every band's going to be a little competitive at the end of the day because, you know, they want the edge up. But, yeah, I'd say it's supportive. I mean, you know, we used to go to our friends' band's shows often, and, you know, we see fellow musicians out in the crowd. And, um, you know, it, it's been one of my favorite kind of collaborative events that we did was at the Ryman for Bob Dylan's 75th birthday. So this was 2015. <laughs> and it was so cool to go into the green room because we've always been we tour so damn much we used to do 150 dates a year that you know a lot of the bands and not to pigeonhole all of them but a lot of them you know tended to kind of hang out play around town they didn't really tour quite as much as we did back in those days so we sort of never really got to know too many of the local musicians or not you know some of our heroes like you know isbel casey musgrave some of these People. But anyway, on this particular event, the two musicians I just named and a whole bunch of other guys, Butch Walker, uh, Kesha, mm-hmm. you know, they were all hanging together and it just felt like such and, and it seemed like they all knew each other. We got to know, you know, some of these musicians and, you know, that that was sort of our first taste of really kind of being embraced in the Nashville community. Right and actually getting to know these people and you know if we saw them at another venue maybe a year later so we could say hey so you know it's nice to kind of finally integrate um you know and and just kind of getting in that little scene was kind of a a beautiful awakening to you know the community and how supportive it can be and um how we're all in this together and the music business is a freaking disaster and completely impossible (laughs) to predict so you know we're all you know kind of uh, we're, we're all in arms in that in that way. So um, well, one of my favorite things about the Nashville scene is the fact that you can tour through there and wind up on a show with. Now I'll give a venue. I don't think it's still there. Is Twelfth and Porter? Is Twelfth and Porter still there? It is not. So this is like 2018. Twelfth and Porter. We played a show with a. I'm dead. It was like a dream pop band opening, and then. A band called Justin and the Cosmics. I don't know if you know Justin and the Cosmics. Uh, Just gnarly Nashville, like garage punk shit. And then us closing. But the reason I remember this is because I love the varied nature. The sound guy, 12th and Porter, is a great guy. And would come up to me before the shows and be like, yo, 
uh, I have this beautifully new built, like Neumann mic. Like I want you guys to use it. And I'm like, I don't want to use it. It's nice. I'll ruin it. I don't want to fuck it up. He's like, <laughs> I'm putting it on stage. Use it. Go ahead. The singer from Justin, the cosmics was hammered during the set and took the mic off the stand and shoved it down his throat and then shoved it up his ass. Like oh. through his clothes. And I was standing next to the sound guy and I looked at him and he was like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> oh, wow. I um, love Nashville shows for that reason because you never know what God. the fuck you're going to get because everything is like a bill like that where it's just like, all right, we'll get seven bands on a bill over at like the five spot or something like that. You never know who you're going to get in a fucking room with. I had to follow the microphone and the ass guy. Uh, I love Nashville. It's my second home. <laughs> well, good thing you didn't have to share the mic. So I, I did. I did use that mic. I did use you that. Did. Mic. did you have disinfectant? Oh, yeah. I hope. No, I just kind of stood a little bit far back. I, uh, oh, yeah. He's from he's, he's from Philadelphia. Every venue microphone there is way has been in someone's that. ass. Yeah, every microphone <laughs> in Philly has been in someone's ass. But I, I bring this up to say, like, because I know you guys as a huge touring band. Like that was kind of Moon Taxi's thing is always playing 150 dates a year and things like that. And we talked to Trevor during the middle of the pandemic when nothing was moving, and to get out after. And I've looked at your fucking tour schedule now, and you guys are booked out like crazy what has it, it been like insane. to get back on the road yeah i mean we can't wait it's felt so stagnant on the touring front because you know to be really taken seriously i think you know it's such a perception game you've really got to you know it's elbow grease it's hitting the road it's really showing people that you care it's uh it's been very spotty, you know, post-pandemic for a lot of bands. You know, mm -hmm. now you're finally seeing these massive tours coming out because people have the confidence to to take them on. You know, of course, you know, one of us could get COVID and it could all go to shit. We'll see. But, you know, it's at least a good, you know, it, it shows that we're back and we're taking this thing seriously. And the new record is we're so, so proud of it. And we're so excited to play a lot of these songs live. It, it was definitely you know, written for the show, the whole flow of the album is, it, it feels like a show. The first track's called Walk Out. And, you know, it it just kind of, you know, it's we designed the, the sequence like we would a set list. So we are super stoked and it just feels like it's like a, a legit, you know, coming back. I mean, pre-pandemic we had, <laughs> just before the pandemic started, two Moon Taxi Babies. We now have eight. Uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> eight? Eight, yeah. So, the fuck were you guys you know, doing the, what the fuck were you doing during the pandemic <laughs> children of the corn children of the quarantine yeah i mean john, uh, johnny johnny has one now i have one that's doing two months apparently musicians had nothing else to do we had nothing to do dude, i mean honestly that's a big part of it when you're touring and like that's just so much harder your mindset and it's probably a wrong way to think that you start adjusting life like big life decisions like kids around like oh we got a spring tour and then, yeah, that all shut down. You're like, well, I got no more excuses now to like hold on to being a kid. <laughs> right, right, man. I know it's uh, it, it'll be interesting. And people are like, oh, what's it like touring with with kids? And I'm honestly like, I, I don't know yet. You know, we really yeah. haven't done the long. It's been like, you know, three or four days and we'll come back. Here's the thing, though, that tour, our, our manager and uh, agent did a very good job, you know, balancing the home life with the tour life. We've, we've got. It, again, on paper, it, it looks like a lot, but if you kind of dig in, it's like, okay, four or five days straight, or maybe a week, week and a half at the most. 
then we're back home. So it's a big ass tour, but it's spread over, you know, four months. So it's, right. it's going to be manageable. We'll be able to be home, but it still just looks so good on paper to see yeah. like this band yeah. is playing, you know, and it's, it, we're playing a lot of places that like, for example, Houston, Texas, the last time we played there was I think late 21. And it was during the, the height of the Omicron phase. And we've mm -hmm. got very, very good friends mm -hmm. in Houston that wouldn't go to the show. Like yep. it was just yeah. not, it wasn't safe. You know, people just identify 2020 with the pandemic, but really for touring musicians, it was a good two years plus uh, at least uh, of really, you know, being able to, to get back to, to what we, you know, typically did touring wise. So it, it just feels really good. It just feels very, you know, legit, very, you know, we're taking this thing seriously because we are. And, you know, I think this record that we just, uh, that we're releasing on Friday is, certainly the best record we've ever made and um at least i like it the most i can't speak to what everyone else will think but i certainly find myself listening to it a lot more and i think the whole perspective of how we created it why we created it uh w was completely shifted from the last one you know and um you know again it was more in mind with the show in mind and um you know, more what we like, you know, I, like I said, I find myself listening to the record well, way more than I ever did any of our previous albums. So it's good when you like it, you know, it's like, yeah, oh. I, I think, you know, we, we had a pretty big hit song in 2017 with too high. Too and high. Just, yeah. yeah. We went gangbusters and, you know, we toured the world and got signed to a major label. And, you know, I think you inherently sort of start writing and sort of operating to keep the big heads at the label happy or, you know, because they want to, you know, they, you now have the opportunity to really reach a global audience. So you tend to, you know, shift your focus towards that and what might work in that space. And sometimes that sacrifices some of your own, you know, integrity or instinct musically. So this, that was completely thrown to the wind. I think, you know, post pandemic and, and just, you know, being able to release this album on our own um, completely shifted the paradigm so we're super excited about it it just feels like it's a whole renaissance um for us uh, and uh we could not be more so was about it. was a lot of the material was written like recently was it stuff you were sitting on how tell, tell us a little bit about that you know <clears throat> we write in a very gradual process uh mm -hmm. it, it was you know just a little look into our, our songwriting process basically it'll be like you know, I might come up with a little track and I'll shoot it out to the guys. Hey, do you guys dig this? Or, you know, or maybe one of the guys I'll sort of go, hey, there could be something here. Check out this hook melody. You know, do you have any lyrical ideas? It can be a little piano riff. Like, for example, our, the single from the record Classics mm -hmm. probably wrote about a year ago just on piano. Um, it was kind of a little jazzy melody thing that I that I had and I thought could be a hook in potentially Moon Taxi song. Um I kind of started out as like a trip hop thing. And then I was like, this is kind Ooh. of a damn catch. Yeah. Yeah. You should hear the, uh, I'll have to send you the, the other version, but anyway, so yeah, on a piano, it kind of felt a little more like the killers or cage the elephant or like, it definitely could go a little more alt rock. So it just takes, you know, a little kernel of an idea like that to get the ball rolling. And then you've got, you know, this incredibly talented group of musicians that, you know, put their touch on it, you know, give feedback, say, Hey, we can speed this up, move this around. Um, you know, so it, it, it becomes sort of a, uh, you know, it, it's yours and then you pass it off and we sort of 
you know, pass along the energy ball. So it was a good 18 months or so. There, uh, uh, the first like six months of that. So this would have been probably early 22. It felt like things weren't really going anywhere. We were just sort of sitting on the same shit. Like it'd be the same three ideas. And it's like, you know, so we, I think started to talk deadlines and like, listen, we probably aren't going to get on many festivals in 2023, but we can really gun for the 24, you know, festival circuit. So let's get a record out in the summer of 23. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and we got a great partner with Vidya, which is a distribution company mm -hmm. that we've, we've really gotten to have a good relationship with. So, you know, just strategizing between, you know, the agent and the, the distribution and the manager just kind of, it, it really kind of lit a fire uh, and we were able to, to turn out some stuff a lot faster. And um, we didn't really write too many, you know, sometimes it'll be like, we'll have 30 songs kind of laying around and we pick the best ones. We have 13 songs on the album. And I think we pretty much only wrote 13 songs. So we really, you know, focused all our energy on making those as good as we could. Um, I tend to ramble. I'm sorry about that. If I'm talking way no, too no, much. No. Dude, no, this is good info. And I like this because, we talk a lot about the songwriting process with either our guests or just amongst all the musicians on the podcast. I'm in that space now where my band is finishing a record, but me as a songwriter, I get antsy when I get tired of the stuff that I've written that I know is going on the album. And then I get anxiety to be like, I need more songs. So I, I'm literally talking to my band right now. I can't stop fucking writing. We have the songs for the record and they're getting finished this month, but I have to keep writing because my brain tells me, okay, you haven't written anything in a little while. Did you guys have that during the process of the record where you got kind of burnt out on the songs you were working on? Or were these 13 like, yes, we know this is it and we're good with what we have here? Yeah, more probably the, the latter. I always think about this interview. We're friends, sort of friends. We, we're, we're friendly with the guys from Walk the Moon. Mm -hmm. uh, Nick is, is an awesome, brilliant songwriter, obviously wrote a massive, massive hit with Shut Up and Dance. It'll, that song will live forever. That was the last song they added to the album. The album was actually done. And he, wow. you know, went out to a club one night or something, was dancing and just had that line and came home and started demoing it and finished it with a couple of producers. And then they're like, hey, we need to add this. And obviously the label was like, yes, you should. So, <laughs> you know, career changing. And so you always, you know, deadlines are great. And I think, you know, in this day and age when you can just continue to pump out music constantly, there's a little less pressure, you know, albums are a bit, unfortunately of a, of a lost art, you know, it's like, you know, you got to wrap it up at, at some point and, you know, give them your 12 to 15 songs and call it a day. But, you know, I think if we wrote a shut up and dance or whatever here in the next, you know, month or so, if it just happened to appear from the sky, like sometimes songs can do, uh, you know, maybe that finds its way out into the world by the end of the year. You never know. So that that's sort of the beauty of uh, of the whole um, nature of the music business right now. I mean, I, I just wrote with this guy, Noah Floresh, uh, which if you haven't heard him, check him out. He's amazing. But he wrote a song called Ghost of Chicago. And 10 minutes after he wrote it on the piano, he just recorded himself singing it on TikTok, went freaking gangbusters. Uh, you know, now he's got everything in the world going on, millions and millions of monthly listeners, um, just got an agent working on tours, you know, and, and it can just happen like that. So you've got to be open to the idea that there could be just some divine intervention and, uh, yeah. you know, so, something else might find its way onto the ether and that's okay too. It, it doesn't have to, uh, you know, just live on this record. The best could, could just be a single. So, you know, Too High was just a single too. And we'd gotten out of a deal 
and just is it sort of just popped out and you know changed our lives so you know it's just be open to all any and all options these days it is funny you say that as a band that it, they cut their teeth as a touring band i feel that that whole thing is kind of waned in a way and i say this because the pandemic of course changed everything but i feel like one of the number one things that the pandemic did do was kind of kill mid-sized touring like i think a lot of bands now won't go out on tour they don't have like I know for my band, like we cut our teeth playing shitty shows all around the country because that's what you do. You go and you play in cities you never played before and you get your name out there. You build your fucking touring record. Then you can go out and do it again. Nowadays, if the money's not there right away, bands can't take the risk. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, yeah. you can't. Yeah, so, I know. It's uh, yeah. You really got to have guarantees and, yep. you know, low overhead. Yeah, it's it's a whole different game, man. I hear you. Well, now we have the fucking TikTok game going on. So is there a part of you that had to cut their teeth touring? Then now you see a guy go big on TikTok and you see them book, booking tours off that. Is part of you like, you skip some steps, you motherfucker. Don't, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, if the music is is great, then, you know, maybe they had to skip a few steps that took us, oh, I don't know, a decade. But hey, <laughs> all, all, all the power to him, man. You know, if the talent's there, I mean, you know, it's like that kid Jake who... I mean, I play piano, so this the this, this shit he plays on 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 uh, what's that song? I don't know, whatever his single is, kind of blows my mind. And I'm like, all right, hats off, dude. You deserve every bit of it. You know, some people just you know have that magic. Uh, you know, I, I think ultimately though, and 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 maybe this isn't. I don't know. I, I'd like to think that the way that we built it uh, from the ground up, very grassroots, playing you know a million shows. We, I mean, for six years we were in a van renting one hotel room with a light guy, six guys, two guys sleeping on the ground, roach infested hotels. But I was also 22. So it didn't really matter. Yep. It was still yep. fun as hell. So, you know, I, I, I would also, you know, say to any musician out there that, you know, might be 16 or 17 years old and think they may have something to, to share with the world. Do it. Don't wait, yep. you know, get, get going early, get going, you know, while you've got the time and energy and, you know, hopefully you have rich parents is all I can say. There it is, dude. There's a real answer that. to the, the music secret. industry. That's the <laughs> yeah. secret sauce. I had this conversation with somebody the other day where they were like, we I, I, we were just talking about grind. You know what I mean? Just fucking grinding yeah. it out, grinding it out. And I said to them, I was like, number one thing you need is patience. Number two, I don't even remember, but I remember number three, I said it was rich parents. If you rich got rich parents, parents <laughs> that takes away all the risk. It's like worst comes to worst. I go home and I work for my dad. Like it is what it yeah. is. Or I just fucking mooch off my parents. If you're not so lucky, like say your yeah, dad is, buy it, you know, a nice little. Yeah, say your dad's an unemployed contractor. Can't really call him up for some money, like me. You know, like you don't always get the breaks, bro. Sometimes you got to start a fucking podcast and talk some shit for three years, and then maybe things start to happen. You don't know. Yeah, you, right. You never right, fucking know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, or just make sure your bass player's dad's a doctor, and then you're set. There it is, dude. If you get an orthodontist, dude, you hit the fucking lottery. I'll bring a fucking bass player and his dad's an orthodontist just to say we don't have to worry about shit. But right, right. There you go. Wes, uh, so the record comes out on Friday. You guys are hitting the road. Where are you starting your tour? When are you starting your tour? Oh, God. Um, you know, it's funny. I never know when one tour ends and one tour starts. It's just the perpetual. Um, we call our tour. It's always something tour because something always <laughs> fucking breaks. Or, we're, you know, always something. Yeah, that's been going on for 15 years. Uh, this tour, I think, officially kicks off in uh charleston at uh the uh, in the isle of palms near charleston uh, is it windjammer yes yeah yes. great venue yeah you played there yep nice you played outside or inside outside 
Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're doing the outdoor stage. We, we did kind of accidentally three nights last year. We had a terrible weather delay or weather issue on the first night. So it got moved inside and then they're like, well, you know, we, we, you can't basically they were carryover tickets. So we added a show. So in three nights felt really great there, you know, and it's super easy. We stay at a hotel directly beside the venue. So we wake up, go to the beach, go to sound check, uh, you know, eat their carnival food for three days and come home and <laughs> pounds heavier. But hey, we have a good time. Yeah. Well, uh, I know we're all ready for the fucking new record. We're really happy. I hope it's an honor for you to be one of the uh, first reoccurring guests, uh, even though fucking, you know, it wasn't you last time. But Moon Taxi is now friends of the family. Uh, you guys have been on multiple times. Uh, as far as the new record goes, do you have a favorite song off the record? Ooh. God, I really like them all. Um, I'm going to be that douchey guy. All right, I've got a feature on the record, and I happen to love the song, so I don't. I do not want to shamelessly plug myself at all. Shamelessly plug yourself. Do it. That's what this podcast is for. I never, you know, I, I I sing and write and produce and do a lot of stuff outside the band, and I've done a lot more of it. Since the pandemic, I'm going to make this real short because the band's going to either fire me or chop my nuts <laughs> off or going into this. But I, uh, I, I, yeah, I, you know, like to kind of, I, you know, we, we were talking about this was actually like a year and a half ago before I would have even had the confidence to put myself on a track. Spencer, our guitar player, you know, he, he does a lot of the producing in the band. And I remember on a call, you know, we were sort of plotting and just a general kind of timeline and, you know, how we wanted to approach it stylistically and everything. And, what the writing and recording process would look like. And he's like, you know, we could do kind of like a white album thing where there's a Paul song, there's a George song, there's, a, you know, I, I don't think we, it, it get, it's already diverse enough. Have you heard the record by the way? Not all of it. No, oh, I just okay. heard the singles. Oops, knock my water. Um, yeah, it, it's, it's, we're already a very diverse, uh, you know, our, our, our songs kind of weave genres. I think to throw completely different vocalists from track to track would, probably get a little i don't know it might throw fans for a loop we definitely have a singer trevor and he's fantastic however you know a little flavor of what some of the other uh, members of the band myself and spencer you know who write and perform and, and record on our own you know infusing just a little bit of that uh felt really exciting to us and i sort of after that conversation challenged myself to find a, and create a track that you know i i felt that, that represented what I do in my production style. So uh, there's one called uh, Flipping Channels. It's the next to lack. They pushed me and Spencer's track to the very, very end. They're the last two tracks. Like Letting you know where you stand? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the dang line, which is fine. So uh, uh, I, I don't know. I really, you know, love the way that it turned out. And I think it's just a cool aspect of this band that, was absent on previous records um, that this offers in a really cool way. And Spencer's track is called Summer in Motion. And it is just the breeziest, coolest, like sunset to the album. It's the very last track. The end of the track has this little drum machine that matches the tempo of the drum machine that starts the record. So it's like this really cool mm. 360 that happens. And it's just a very kind of unorth very unmoon taxi, unorthodox way to uh to construct a moon taxi record it's usually this like really you know kind of folky final note this was just i don't know it's the whole 
moon taxi formula that we've used in the past was sort of flipped on its head this time around. So, um, yeah, this, it, it's cool. It's uh, it, it's just it makes it for a more exciting lesson, you know. And there are two instrumental tracks, which we've never, to my memory, done on a record. Uh, well, actually, we did on the last record. We did it was like thirty seconds though. But this is like a full fledged composition, um, and those are super cool. I love those. It, it's just it really feels great. It the whole thing. I, I go on a bike ride and pop it on, and I find myself just getting lost in it and really enjoying it, and keeps my attention. You know, it's. Um, yeah, I, I think people are going to love it. I hope they hear it. I hope they share it. I hope it, you know, really uh, resonates um, like it does for, for the guys in the band. And, um, yeah, can't wait to get it out. Well, listen, man, we're going to push it as hard as we can. And if there's one thing that I fucking love and I know we love on the podcast is intentionality. And knowing that you guys set the record up this way, I'm excited to fucking listen to it. And the fact that you can listen to it, you can stand the sound of your own band, means that something good is happening here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, again, it was just a total paradigm shift from the last record where I felt like we kind of approached it not for ourselves, which maybe that kind of selflessness can be really effective and great. But I, I don't know. I, I I find myself like unable to listen to it, to be honest. Like, mm. I, I don't think any of the guys, you know, are super proud of all of it, uh, you know, and not to disparage even a, one iota any of the guys that we collaborated with. They were amazing writers and producers, mostly in L.A., but they just they didn't get us. It was sort of their version of what we do. And, you know, I've heard AJR, who's just as unique as it as it comes. Uh, they're on one of my favorite podcasts called And the Writer Is. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know. Yeah, great podcast, phenomenal. But anyway, shout out yeah, Ross Golan, like, dude. You know, we just can't really Ross Golan, man. He's he's incredible. Yeah. So you know, the, I think it was Jack or one of the guys was like, you know, it's just it's always it feels very contrived. Like it, 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 we've got a real thing, and it took us a while to accept what that thing is and how multicolored and multifaceted the, the Moon Taxi sound can be. But. Um, I think once we finally figured out what that was and we stand behind it, we embrace it, uh, you know, it, it's a really great organic and exciting uh, opportunity for us to continue to create music for, I mean, God, I joined in 07 now or, you know, 16 years later. So uh, it's, it's just a, it's a blessing, you know, and I feel like too, it's, it's, it's there's a maturation that happened with this record. And I think that, um, you know, a, a lot of bands sort of tend to try to repeat what they've done on the last record. Or they find something that works and it just all starts to sound the exact same. I think this one will really stand out as something special, hopefully. Well, the way we end this, I'll, I'll end it with three things. One, go listen to a new album. Two, fuck L.A. And three, <laughs> make music for yourself, goddammit. That's what's the most important thing here. <laughs> yeah, dude. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah. So when's your record? What, what, when is it going to come out? What, what's the timeline? Uh, well, so we discussed this off air, or maybe it was the beginning of the interview. I have a baby on the way. So oh, two months we, from now. Yes, congratulations. Two months from now. Thank you. We're finishing the record this month. And then I believe October will probably be when we'll start putting shit out. One of the singles is already out. By the way, shouts out Spotify algorithms. I fucking hate you, but you're helping us out right now. So shouts the fuck <laughs> out. Uh, but yeah, we're hoping October, November will be the release of the full record. Awesome. Awesome, man. That's exciting stuff. Are you having a boy or a girl? Boy. Oh, nice. I got two boys. They're the best. Johnny has a girl, idiot. Oh, 
Girls are great. Girls are great. <laughs> no. Hey man, uh, I don't. I didn't. I didn't find out what we were having till we had her, and I did. Oh, I just wow. honest. I honestly didn't care. You know what I mean? Like oh, no. I, did, I had. I had no preference beforehand. I was like, I. I it was weird because I would have expected to have had like, oh, I really hope for a girl or a boy, but I just didn't care, and then was happy as hell, you know, to have a girl. I, I thought it happy was, as hell to have a boy. I thought it was a girl. Like in my head, I was, I don't know why. Actually, I do know why. I was positive, like looking for signs from God, which way this was going to go. And I was walking down the street after Christmas and uh, all the trash from Christmas was out for trash week that week. And a little tag that said from Santa to the girl's name we had picked out was out front of my front door. And I went into my wife and I was like, it's going to be a girl. It's going to be a girl. And then we got the test results back the next week. And it was like, it's a boy. And I was like, well, I don't fucking know anything. That's not how I, I would have read that sign from God. I would have said that he's going to be a pile of trash. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's my kid. So there's a, a high possibility of that. We're getting fucking sidetracked. Wes, thank you so much for your time, brother. You're allowed yeah, to come man. back on whenever you want. Moon Taxi's family now. So uh, everybody go check out the new record. Anything else from me, my man? That's it, dude. Thank you again so much for having me. This was a blast. Hell yeah, brother. Everybody go check out the new Moon Taxi record. See him on tour. Wes, we'll talk to you soon, all right? All right. See you, buddy. See you, man. Cheers.